When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. Think you can't get better value? Think again. 10% bigger dividends when you bet direct with Tote Plus at tote.co.uk. And just today, as we record on Monday for the Final Furlong Podcast, Tote have done it again. The place pot at Lingfield paid with Tote Plus £977.00. And 68 pence, as opposed to the standard dividend of 888.80. So that total plus difference makes all the difference. I'm saying difference a lot. Uh, 977 pounds, 68 pence. If you are betting with tote.co.uk, tote.e, or the official tote app, do it now and take full advantage of tote plus. I'm Amos Kennedy. Looking back on the weekend with the one and only Kate Tracy. Hello, good to be back. Great to have you back, Kate. Um, big weekend of the car. We didn't really preview the UK, so I'm kind of wondering, should we discuss the Northumberland plate or lot? So I'm going to leave that in your hands. Yes or no? <laughs> um, it's quite a long race, isn't it? No, <laughs> no I'm really messing. Um, uh, nah, we'll concentrate on the car, will we? To the car it is! <laughs> to the car. Uh, where Sarah Lynham was very much smiling after her dad, uh, Fast Eddie. Eddie Lynham did it again with the sprinter. He's not just a one-trick pony, by the way. Eddie Lynham's a bloody genius. But romantic proposal, um, who Chris Hayes guided to victory by a length and a half over six furlongs on what was officially good ground. Um, I absolutely love this performance. And this is another example to me, Kate, of... Eddie being able to just impart speed into horses as they race on. Yeah, definitely the case here. I'd, I'd say at least anyway from Manta Proposal because, I mean, we knew that this mare had every chance here because she was coming into this race on the back of a really good second in a group two over this course and distance. And she had two of these re-opposing rivals behind her in in that re- in that contest in third and fourth. So provided she turned up in similar form, she was going to take all the beating here, percent of her favourite as a result. And that's exactly how it transpired because this really was very impressive because she came from last to first here. But when you look at the first three home, they where they came from, they all came from off the pace, suggesting that they did go hard enough up front here and it did pay to be held up. And when you look at the time of this race overall as well, which was slow by just 1.5 seconds, that would also indicate that the pace was strong. Those ridden off the pace were able to pick it up. And she does have a very interesting profile, this mare, because as you say, she is a five-year-old, but she remains likely raced for a sprinter because she wasn't run as a two-year-old mm. and she was bought along steadily for all... She started life off as a miler, yep. but with her steady progression has probably seen her to much better effect as a result and connections were able to reap the rewards for their patients now. So for all Eddie Lynham has said she isn't ground dependent. He has said that he might take her chance in the sapphire if it came up slow and dropping her back to five furlongs but otherwise she's also in the nunthorpe so she will need to improve because she is still only rated 101 at the minute but eddie lynham has said himself 
that he thinks she's better than that. And with her progression, knowing Eddie and what he can get out of these sprinters in time as well, she could just be getting better and better still. And this was a very impressive performance, I thought. And there was a number of people who quietly fancied her. Don McLean on Racing TV being one of them for the Nunthorpe and was gutted that he didn't take up that that option. But Eddie was explaining afterwards that he felt that that just wasn't the right move for the horse at the time, that uh, sending her to Royal Ascot in the big field handicap, yeah, she may very well have been well in and she might very well have gone and wanted or gone close, but it it could have done damage to her mentally overall and been a little bit too much for her. So he wanted to take a, a more slowly, slowly approach, if you like. And so you um, go into a listed race instead, you take 44,000 in prize money, happy days. Um, na- natural progression is to go for the Sapphire, um, mm. which is on the 17th of July, back at the Curra, uh, over five furlongs. And um, she's worth her chance in Group 2 company, and she's worth her place if she comes through that. She's definitely worth her place in, in Group 1 company. Because there's mm. one thing about the sprinters right now, uh, and particularly the five furlong division, it's open. Uh, mm. You know, Batash is mortal. He bleeds. Uh, he's not unbeatable. Mm. Um, maybe our power is going to come through, but the the other horse in the, was it Winter Power, the horse in the King Power mm-hmm. silks that we all yeah. held high hopes for? God, that didn't work out at all. Um, Golden Pal, I, I noticed, has been uh, purchased by... Uh, the the Magner team. So um, Golden Pal holds an entry for the Coolmore Nunthorpe and is uh, obviously trained by Wesley Ward. Uh, last year was second to the Learjet at Ascot, uh, is now in Coolmore's ownership. So Wesley Ward may very well be um, instructed. And Mr. Vesterberg, this is becoming very interesting. Vesterberg is mm. bi- basically buying into everything at Coolmore. Hmm. The lads are like really coming along and saying, yeah, you know. Help yourself. Opal, Opal's founder's grandson with your billions. Come on in. Come on in. We're happy to have this money. Um, but it's just mm-hmm. interesting that the, the the lads are expanding in the way that they are. So uh, Golden Pal is prominent in the betting. Dragon Symbol, very prominent in the betting. Glass Slippers, Breeders' Cup Hero, prominent in the betting. After that, like Winter Power's got a lot to prove. Kings Lynn ran well in a handicap. But again, that was a handicap. Lot to prove. It's there. It's there mm. for, for the taking. It's there for something to come through. And who's to say romantic proposal is not going to be the one to do so? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, definitely. So as you say, and even those towards the head of the market there, I mean, they're sort of swapping and changing amongst themselves, at least anyway. So as you say, none of those who even know as the solid group one sprint performers can necessarily string together those wins uh, that we would expect so yeah it's um it is wide open this division and as you say with handicappers coming up and then stepping into um into the top level company as well they'd have enough questions to answer themselves on that basis so when you look at romantic proposal and her overall profile and yes she has just won a listed contest but how highly regarded she is and with that rate of progression as well and and as i say Eddie did say she's not ground dependent, but he kind of hinted at the fact that she might just need it to be a bit of a test to be competing at the highest level over the five. So if that if those conditions came into play, then you you wouldn't be writing her off whatsoever because she's clearly been able to travel away, no problem here, held up in rear, and then has sided through the field plenty enough to turn her foot, and then to to still have the stamina and to run out of 
an easy winner at the end, you know, yeah. over six furlongs, yeah. length and a half is an easy win. Yeah. Um, then, yeah, then certainly she's not one to be writing off whatsoever. So, yeah, we almost hope that people will write her off because she, she'd be a decent price and she'd continue to be brought along. Suddenly, if she does go to the Sapphire, then we'll know exactly where we are with her. But by that point, she might not have escaped people's attentions as much. The official comment on the Racing Post is easily. Mm. And whenever you see that about a six furlong sprinter, you need to take notes. So uh, well done yeah. to the Lynams. Another good horse on their hands and hopefully uh, more to come. Um, I guess I have to do this for Naomi. <laughs> Winners enclosure. She drops a bomb on all of us. Uh, go Bears, go. Nine days after running at Royal Ascot. And uh, she comes up with um, Go Bears Go as the selection in the railway stakes. And I was like, what are you talking about, woman? Ah, the Acropolis is going to bounce back here and crush them all. <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought Castle Star was a good thing and um, that we were getting too big a price. Damn, Naomi Tucker knows her stuff. And um, again, Ooh. nine days after Royal Ascot with Castle Star coming in fresh and Maceto. Uh, having run at Royal Ascot uh, in new ownership as well, by the way. So, and being behind Go Bears Go gives that form a nice little bit of a boost as well. And uh, Dr. Zemph has run, run a fine race. Kadamasto has run another fine race. These are all big babies. They're coming along. The Acropolis has run a fine race. They're all, they're, look, they're big babies. They're still coming along. Mm-hmm. But Go Bears Go was next level to them. Yeah, and... I have to say, I was actually annoyed when I saw what price he went off at in uh-huh. the end. Because um, I just, I mean, he was far too big, surely, you were saying, wasn't he? Because he's just such a little star of a horse. And yes, he had a tough race at Royal Ascot in the Norfolk just nine days prior. And he was having to prove himself over an extra furlong here as well. But with his Ascot form over five and winning form on soft ground on his debut stars over five, you had to have every confidence that he was going to get the six furlongs on good ground here at the Curra. And with David Lochnan as well, having a brilliant time of things and being ballsy enough to supplement him for this race for £10,000 to send this lad over to the Curra, you had to have every reason to think he should be bang there once more. And it was interesting to see how Russell Ryan was going to ride him here because in the opening race over six furlongs, the first three, as we just touched upon, came com- from completely off the pace. But Russell Ryan rode this lad forwards, had him just sat on the shoulder of the Acropolis and before asking him to go and win his race, where he found plenty for pressure, showing how tough he is yet again and extended away to the line like a very good horse who has, if anything, appreciated this step up in trips. So I think he is, uh, I think David Lockdown said afterwards about the Phoenix States then on August the 8th, is probably going to be the target for him next because then he's got six weeks. So because he's coming here on the back of a a busy time of things, he can have, you know, a couple of quiet weeks and then they've got four weeks to ready him for the Phoenix as a target. And just with the attitude he has shown here, I, I, I really like this horse. I just think he's properly gutsy. So, yeah, I wouldn't be one bit surprised to see him come back and, um, and dot up again. Uh, Castle Star, unlike the winner, uh, he was ridden cold out back. He had to weave his way through where it got a little bit messy for a few strides when Castle Star and Dr. Zemph went for the same gap. But Castle Star had the momentum. Momentum. He had more horse to get the gap, whereas Dr. Zempf lost out because he didn't have as much horse going forwards. But Dr. Zempf was then coming back at the line, probably shaped as if he might want further, which his pedigree doesn't necessarily suggest mm-hmm. uh, is a necessity. But that's the way he shaped on just his second career start, at least anyway. So probably too soon to draw conclusions. But 
I know he's a favourite here, so people are going to ask questions. And for me, he just, he, he didn't have quite as much momentum to go for the gap that Castle Star was able to go for, which saw Castle Star run on to finish second. But again, he was just no match for Go Bears Go, who has done it, you know, inverted commas, the hard way, being ridden prominently. So I really like the performance yet again from him. I did see excuses for both on, on social media. Uh, I think Castle Star... You know, he's clearly met traffic in, in running, but he doesn't get... Mm. It's a little bit like the last time Castle Star met Maceto, and some people were mm. trying to make out that, oh, Dunnock is going to feel really hard done by there. I don't, yeah. I think Dunnock even came out and said, no, I don't. Like, <laughs> the, horse, the horse has run well. He's run very well. We were beaten by a better horse in the day. Um, mm. Castle Star has just been beaten by a better horse in the day. Yeah, things didn't go his way, but even if they did, I still think Go Bears Go pulls out more. And, mm. uh, and and goes and wins. And the quote from David Lucknow afterwards was, I absolutely adore Go Bears Go. I said from the start, he is the best I've trained. It took some bottle for the owners to stump up 10 grand to supplement him. They've reaped the reward. It'll, it's lovely when a horse proves you right, and I think we'll come back for the Phoenix Stakes. So that could be mm. a really interesting Phoenix. Massively so. And also so good for Ammo Racing as well. So we talked about them on our, on our Royal Ascot. Uh, review and saying about the near misses one of them being with go bears going mm. and hello you and uh, can't remember the other two-year-old uh but yeah another one that placed anyway and um and and how much they're putting into racing at the minute and uh and I also i just want to say that i i love how supportive am i racing is um your main man who used to be tevez's agent can't remember his name now either mine's gone blank but uh but yeah and how support because he obviously understands sport he understands um sort of you know agencying and the sports uh, to to try and look after the sports people as well and the fact that he stood by ross orion ross orion obviously having um that bad fall where he broke his collarbone then appendicitis and to come back and to only have this this is what second ride i think back after his win at newmarket or maybe it ended up being his third i think he picked up a spare in the end but either way just to stay loyal to him stay loyal to david lock see the potential there that's the kind they're the kind of owners we want in this sport ones who invest ones who are fair ones who appreciate the sport and its participants and are only going to make the sport better in time so i'm i'm delighted for ammo racing that they've got a really smart performer and they've got a group two winner now because they deserve it for what they're giving to the sport. Are you talking about Javier Mascherano's agent as well, Kia yeah. Bracken? Yes, yes, yeah, that's the one. Liverpool legend, Javier Mascherano, mm-hmm. I loved him. I loved him. He, he would yeah. go in with a two-foot tackle and let you know he's there. <laughs> uh, absolutely adored the guy. Right, so uh, I think we're both in agreement that the Gobert's go is by far the, the best of them, but the Phoenix will be very, very interesting. Um, yes. Let's see what Castle Star does in the meantime, in terms of how physically he develops. They clearly like Dr. Zempinov a lot. Uh, he's got to make up ground. Mm. And um, I wonder who Aiden's going to run. Mm. Like, does he send over uh, the winner of the Chesham? Or does he mm-hmm. rematch with one of these, thinking that they can they can do it? Uh, I don't know. I, again, as I said, they're big babies. So who knows? It's going to be interesting. It'll be very, very interesting. Uh, the Derby results in sweet, sweet justice. Sweet, sweet justice for Andrew Blair White. Go on, Andrew. Done out of it in the Derby. Robbed in the Derby. Comes on the final Furlong podcasts. Tells you all this lone eagle. I mean, come on. How many Martin Mead horses have been blown up like they're the next 
great big superstar. Technician still running around Ascot. Zero <laughs> chance these horses. This Lone Eagle's a complete nutter farce of a horse. Hurricane Lane's going to destroy the lot of them. And I suspect that there was a little bit of uh, leakage coming out of, of them as they, as they approached the line as Frankie's coming there. Swinging along, looking all set to win, but Buick ice ice in his veins and gets Hurricane Lane up. Uh, love this mm. horse. He's tough. He mm. doesn't know when to give up. And it kind of mm-hmm. tells me that the Derby was a bit of a farce, that something was not quite right with the Derby. Correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if you disagree with me on that one. Uh, more than happy to go to war on that. But um, <laughs> I think when Hurricane Lane and Adair go and meet again, Hurricane Lane will do them. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for the for this race itself, it was a proper race, wasn't it? There was it was Brilliant. no there were no crappy tactical ploys going on. This was uh, that you know that would have unravelled the race, and you could have taken a sceptical view on it at least anyway, because the winner was simply the best horse in this race. And that's exactly how it transpired because we knew how talented Hurricane Lane was coming into the race because other than his third in the Derby, he was unbeaten from his three prior starts. And even in the derby, he lost his two front shoes. So he could be marked up for it, if anything, for the run where he might. I don't think he would have beaten a day up, but he may well have finished second, though, I think, all the same had he had those two shoes. And uh, and then here he was taken forwards after breaking well from the gate by William Bjork. But with the strong pace being set up front, he allowed Hurricane Lane to drop back and find his own rhythm. So he was then three wide off the inside rail and just as they swung into the home straight, so a full two and a half furlongs out, Frankie kicked the home on Lone Eagle, who we knew would see out this trip very well. He responds well to front running tactics and he's just a very tough and honest horse who would take a lot of passing. And it almost worked seamlessly with those tactics that Frankie Dottori was implementing. But you always felt that Hurricane Lane, when he got into top gear, was going to close Lone Eagle down, especially with the stamina we know Hurricane Lane possesses because he saved the derby trip really well at Epsom. His down one won over two miles and his damn side of a pedigree all suggests he should get one mile four very well, which which he does. And with the front two pulling clear of the third horse in Wordsworth, who I, I still don't like his head carriage. No, I and I, I, yeah, no, I don't think he wants this trip either. I, I thought that after the Queen's Vars that he wanted further than the mile six there, if anything. But you can understand connections, thinking of running him here because of Santiago won the Queen's Vars before then winning the Irish Derby on his next start last year. But I, I just don't like Wordsworth's head carriage. Uh, for all that, I think he's talented. I just wouldn't trust him at a short price, I don't think. But for Hurricane Lane, he really, he, he did lug to his right a bit when mounting his challenge to go and run down Lone Eagle, which in turn did mean he caused some problems to his right with the likes of Mojo Star coming off worse. So I wouldn't be too harsh on, on Mojo Star's performance whatsoever here, finishing back in fifth. Um, because as I say, he he did suffer that interference quite significantly then. And for all that the winner has reversed the Derby form with Mojo Star, I still wouldn't be ready to say that Mojo Star's second in the Derby was a fluke at all on the basis of this run, because I think he's actually run very well considering the interference he has suffered here. But as I say, I, I do think it's right that Hurricane Lane also re- reversed the placings at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but when I, I know that it was then 
Charlie Appleby was asked about Hurricane Lane being a St. Ledger horse. And huh. I'm pretty sure Hurricane Lane, yeah, is being cited now at the St. Ledger because the day R is going to the King George. So they're going to see how a day R is going to get on in the King George to see how he's going to fare against older horses to see if he's going to make up into being an art contender. And sort of however it goes there will decide whether or not a day R will run in the St. Ledger. So uh, but he did say he's not, he's not averse to running the pair of them in there. So that could be a, an amazing matchup. If Charlie Appleby and, and Godolphin are ballsy enough to do that, I can't wait. That would be unbelievable. So, yeah, hopefully that will happen. But I also do hope, obviously, a day off will get on well in the King George nonetheless anyway. So, yeah, it'd be really interesting. Um, with Lone Eagle in second, I know there was a concern about the ground um, going to be that they were concerned the ground might be a bit too big, uh, too big, too good for him here. But Yes, he had had good form on good ground, but surprised this. But the concern was that he might be a better performer on softer ground. But he dispelled that theory here, I think. The market support before the off would also suggest there wasn't much of a concern about him on the best ground either. Mm -hmm. And the only real disappointment in the race, I thought, was high definition, the favourite. Oh, yeah, Talk to so, me. Oh, Talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't think there were many positives to take out of this race for high definition. He just never picked up at all. There was just no showing from him from any state at any stage, I don't think. So Frui could forgive his running with Dante because he just looked a big, leggy horse who probably wasn't going to handle Epsom then. So to miss the Derby and come here looked a good ploy, but he's taken a backward step here, if anything, I think. So you'd have to just watch him next time, I think, and see where he's at because I wouldn't have any money on him next time, at least anyway. And the other one who wasn't disappointing, but I think has confirmed suspicions going into the race was McSweeney because <laughs> he just hasn't stayed. <laughs> he just hasn't stayed. Yeah, I thought he travelled into the race very well, just he like did. he did at Epsom. He really did. Yeah, again, he was a, no, he was the eye catcher travelling into the race. But I, I just, I remember turning around to John. I just said, "This, he won't stay. He, he'll do this. He will travel there up, look like the winner, trade short and better. He will not say this." And then he just, yeah, again, he hasn't stayed the one mile four trips. But you can totally see why Jim Bolger wanted to give him another try over this trip. He just. Yeah, doesn't say it. So hopefully back to a mile and there'll be plenty of races to be won with him. But it's going to be a tricky case of keeping him and Poetic Flair apart over a mile. So you see what Jim Bolger was trying to do. But unfortunately, he's got two very talented horses that want the same trip. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how he's going to play the pair of those. But there's enough races to keep them apart. Just maybe not. You're going to have to sacrifice one of uh, at the higher table, so it's going to be tricky. Or just run them both in the think, same races. Do you think Max Sweeney would get away with ten furlongs? Yeah, 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 I do. Right, so I really, I, so I, I, run yeah. him at ten and keep Poetic Flair to a mile. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I think he would get away with it, and if and the easier division would be over ten rather than a mile, how the mile division shaping up. So he may just get away with it to be able to boss that and win it. But I do think he is best at a mile um but that's where it's going to have the predicament though because poetic flair i think is best at a mile so i think that that's the pair of their optimal trips but it just depends on kind of how how jim bulge is going to look at it and whether or not he's going to cite the slightly easier division of 10 furlongs i think then for mcsweeney um and send him there instead but yeah, I, in an ideal world, he'd be with another trainer or, or whatever and run over a mile. 
Um, but I, I think that that's the way he's probably going to go. How dare you say he'd be with another trainer? How dare you? Jim Bulger, <laughs> I do not, re- those comments of Kate Tracy do not represent the Final Furlong podcast at all. Now, Jim will do right by the horse. And um, look, they've, they've given it two goes now. And it's just, mm. it's very, very clear. You're spot on. He doesn't stay mile four. I mm. thought I thought he would. He doesn't. That's it. We draw a line. Uh, we also draw a line uh, through Van Gogh. Oh, God. Mm. Van Gogh. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, uh, yeah, look, he's been well held and, and held fairly. Um, just back to high definition. You can't say we didn't mm. tell you. Mm-hmm. Like we warned as much as we possibly could. And I thought the biggest smoke signal about all this was start of the week. He was the odds on favorite for the race. I was like, how the mm. hell is he odds on favorite for a race where he's take, he's rematching with hurricane lane who beat him in the Dante. Yeah. And has since gone on to run very well in a Derby. Um, and the talk at the time I remember was, going into the derby, like whatever about the reputation that High Definition has, look, there's time, right? This this is a, a very young horse who has had, what, four starts in his career to date? Yeah, four. Mm. And two of those have been in classics. To me, when I look back at the Beresford stakes, he looks like a grinder. That That's what mm. he looks like. Now, I know Sarah Lyon disputed that when she was on the show. She was like, no, I thought he actually picked up really well. So... Sarah would know more than me, but to my eyes, that's what it looked like. It looked like he needed every inch of that mile to get it and that he ground out the finish. Um, He looked like a Japan-type horse in the Dante, and here something has to be amiss. Something's wrong. Like, there's no way he's that bad. He can't Mm. be that bad. I don't think he wins this, but he's not that bad. Yeah, no, yeah. But you're looking at a four-year-old career with him, really. That's what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. You're you're looking at because it's someone made the comparison of there's a whiff of U.S. Army Ranger off him. Well, there isn't because U.S. Army Ranger was second in a Derby and won a Derby trial. This fella hasn't done that. This fella has has a legitimate excuse in you know whatever is going to come to light for this. But I wouldn't touch him with stolen money this year. Mm. But as a four year old, yeah. I'm interested in him. As a four-year-old, I want to see what they can do, but I have zero interest in backing him because he's almost always going to be underpriced. And uh, mm. the the real warning sign was odds on to odds against to nine to four on the day. They didn't fancy their chances. They knew that the, the game was up. And uh, was it David Jennings wrote, now more than ever, the British have to win the derby? First of all, again, I think this might be the second podcast in a row where I'm having to go with David Jennings. I'm not having a go at you, David. It's just that we have a different difference of opinion on it. I think you're one of the best journalists in the business and you should be given more awards than you are. Um, truly, some of the stuff that he writes is absolutely spectacular. I don't think it was absolutely crucial that Britain won the Derby, but there's no doubt that, that Britain have the best middle distance three-year-olds right now. Except for... I did a poll. And you know Twitter polls don't lie, Kate Tracy. Twitter polls never lie. Right? (laughs) Absolute facts. So, I said, uh, after today's Irish Derby, who, in your opinion, is the leading middle-distance European three-year-old? I gave three options. Adair, Hurricane Lane, (laughs) Snowfall. Who came out on top? 
Was it Snowfall by any chance? Snowfall got 85% of the 1,516 votes. 85? <laughs> Jesus. God, I didn't expect... Yeah. <laughs> I thought recency bias was going to play in and people were going to go, oh, Hurricane Lane, because he's just won the Derby, mm-hmm. the Irish Derby. I thought that was going to be. What, what, what were the other two separated by? What were the percentages for the other two? Embarrassing. 7% at AR, 7% Hurricane Lane, 1% oh, they didn't other. Even split them. No. They didn't 80 even split for just like an overwhelming win for Snowfall. And I did read a piece with Frankie where he said, my record breaking classic success could have and almost should have been by more because he eases her down at the line. Mm. Um, so I can't wait to see her back in action. I can't wait to see her and I presume it's going to be the Irish Oaks. And um, mm. then all roads lead to the arc, you would imagine, where she'll probably clash with a stablemate love. But uh, mm-hmm. what is your current take on the middle distance division right now? And, and we'll incorporate oh. the, the fillies here as well. Yeah, I don't think people are given a day are enough respect. I really don't. And especially with a day are's form. Like my first reaction there with Hurricane Lane winning, I was like, oh, well, there's another perfect bit of form boost then for a day are yet again. I just, I, I keep thinking, am I, am I the only one who saw <laughs> who saw a day are's derby win in the way that I did? And I, I don't know if people are taking a skeptical view on how well he won and the fact that Mojo Sar was second. But Mojo Sar, I think, has run a, a corker here and has just been. Um, bashed out of things, but it's actually run really well. So I don't think that that was a disgrace whatsoever. And then with, with a day are the fact that the horse who beat him in the classic trial at Sandown went and won at Royal Ascot when he won the King Edward VII in Alanka. So I just, I, I feel that people are dismissing a day are totally. I, I just, I think that the more that time goes on, the better that Derby's looking and the better a Derby winner he is looking. And yes, Hurricane Lane lost his front two front shoes in the derby which wouldn't have helped whatsoever and adam kirby did give a day are the most pinpoint accurate winning ride Brilliant. you're ever gonna see Brilliant. unbelievable yeah i actually um i didn't realize uh might have changed now adam kirby at least until the other day hadn't uh one minute um let's go for form in 30 however many rides he hadn't had a winner since that um, but I haven't checked for the last few days to see if he has. No, I actually don't think he's ridden a winner since his derby win. Since the derby? Oh, you're right. Sure. He's been second yeah. a few times, but he hasn't ridden a winner. Wow. No. Wow. How wild is that? At least it's that way around. That's some, <laughs> that, that's some Podrick Beggy stuff right there. I know, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it, Jeff? Yeah. How wild is that? That's some Emmett um, McNamara stuff. Yeah, I just had to double check that, yeah, nothing had happened in the last couple of days because I haven't checked. Um, but yeah, that that was um but but at least he gave the best ride to a day in the derby. Unreal. Yeah. Um and he'd be probably be taking that any <laughs> any day of the week, anyone would. Um but yeah, I I don't think people are giving a day enough credit for his derby and I thought that was class. I think Hurricane Lane is a gorgeous horse and I think he probably should have finished second in the derby, but I still don't think anything, anything would have beaten a day in the derby. I know that yes from stall one. A day are basically he had his hand forced to take a ballsy ride, which did see him to optimal effect and probably did exaggerate the margins. But all the same, the fact that a day form is being boosted all the while, I just I, I think that he is still this is the stand up form. I wonder if people are thinking ahead to um 
to the arc though and then people are thinking about being a standout who's a standout with snowfall with the allowances she's going to get and things like that oh, if people definitely. had a race you know when you're comparing horses you naturally have a race in your head of 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 how they're going to fare or who do you think is going to come up on come out on top and yes in those conditions with, with the the softer going most likely with the allowances snowfall would for me come out on top like i think she is the horse to beat with those allowances but that's not you know it depends on what spectrum and what scale you're using to judge horses against each other is it a future engagement is it where they are right now is it yeah it's it's a complicated one but i don't know people can keep underestimating a day or all they want because i i think he's a serious horse okay i'm gonna keep underestimating him i, I don't think that derby was. <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it's all that <laughs> i don't think he all that I'm taking him on all day. That is. Uh, I can't, <laughs> see the King George. <laughs> I can't wait for the King George and um, mm. for Love or Piledriver to just smash him up. Is Piledriver going? <laughs> he is surely going, isn't he? Yeah, he is going. Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. Um, just to smash him right up um, and put him in his place. I, I don't know. There's something about that derby and that just makes me go, yeah. I don't know. Um, Why? Which part? Which part of it makes you go meh? I think too impressive. I, I think you're spot on about the fact that Adam Kirby had to be incredibly ballsy from from box one. Mm. Um, Mojo Star, shout out to Jamie Venson, put him up in the podcast at a mm-hmm. hundred to one. Rory put up a day R at sixty sixes, and he went off. He he opened at four. He he was cut to thirty threes. I didn't have a cent on him, by the way. He was cut to 30, either of them. He was cut to 33s. He then opened at 40s and mysteriously went off 16s. So Delargy clearly was getting busy with that price. Um, fair play to Jamie with Mojo Star. He's landed a right touch with a 100 to 1 shot, finishing second in the Derby. I know his SP was 50s. Um, the SP system's a bit bizarre these days. But, like, O'Brien clearly, with the exception of Snowfall, does not have unless there's something going to emerge, like either high definition comes good or something else emerges in the next few weeks or months that we haven't seen yet, it's not a very strong middle distance three-year-old crop. Uh, same Marks Basilica, I think will win the Eclipse. I'm looking forward to seeing him, but I don't. neither of us think he's a mile four horse. Yeah, no. Neither of us think he wants that trip. So... Mm-hmm. Max Sweeney doesn't doesn't want it, so it's all about the British horses. And I just think the Hurricane Lane's better. I think on the day it didn't go go his way, and he'll like he lost both of his four shoes, as you said. And um, I think William Buick was saying he'd um, he'd had another issue as well. So I I just think Hurricane Lane's better, and I need to see Adar do it again. And mm-hmm. we have Alan Carr come through as well. So, um, but hey, I will. Bow down and apologize to you profusely if it turns out that uh, a day are wins the King George. It has to be good opposition in a hack canter. And I'll go, that Kate Tracy, damn, she knows her stuff. At least you could admit that you would apologize. I most definitely won't. So don't be waiting on that. If, if I always do. I, stuff, one so thing, one thing I do is I'll admit when I'm wrong and I'll flip flop. <laughs> I'll flip flop quickly. Remember how quickly I flip flopped with Pete the other, the other day when we were talking yeah, yeah. about the, the forecast with love and, uh, 
uh, the James Franchot horse. Is it a, a day yeah. are? I was like, oh god, yeah. I remember watching a race back this morning. Oh, Maybe I should pay yeah. her a bit, <laughs> bit more respect. Like, I like the way you just flip flop there, man. As opposed yeah, yeah. To basically, <laughs> uh, blowing with the wind, Kennedy. Like whichever way the wind is blowing, that's uh, that's the direction I'm going in. Um, <laughs> right, Cadillac is back in the winner's mm. enclosure. This was another winner for Naomi and uh, all of us, really. Uh, I think we couldn't really see Cadillac getting beaten, so fair play, uh, particularly to Andrew and Naomi. Uh, Dawn Patrol, who has left Aiden, is now in Lloyd Williams' silks and clearly is going to be heading to the Melbourne Cup. Uh, mm-hmm. Gets within a short head. So Jessica Harrington beats Joseph O'Brien. Uh, Cadillac's back in the winner's enclosure. What did you make of the performance? Yes, uh, I, I liked it from Cadillac a lot here because this was his reappearance start, his first start as a three-year-old. So it was always going to be interesting to see how he was going to fare as a three-year-old and see if he could build on all of the ability and talent he showed as a two-year-old. And he had a busy autumn, so you can see why Jesse Harrington had given him that bit of extra time to come to himself and to make this slightly delayed reappearance start. And I think he might have also had a slight setback as well, but either way, I think it probably is paid to his favour because he did have such a busy time with things in the autumn. And with Cadillac, he was keen enough early on, probably just freshness as much as anything. And he had to challenge wide with True Self going better on his outside. And True Self has probably actually helped Cadillac all in all, really, in sitting on his girth and driving him forwards when he was under pressure. And True Self has probably got done for toe as much as anything after cantering into contention on the outside before being ridden for a turn of foot and not picking up as quick as maybe looked likely. So I think if she had been asked to go and win her race a bit sooner, she probably would have won that. So I do think that she has run a mighty race here. And it was interesting to see the action unfolding down the centre of a track and away from the far side rail. Uh, And with the cameraman initially thinking that Dawn Patrol had got there. And again, yeah, I was like, ah. Yeah, no, they don't. They rarely get it wrong. To be fair, so to be fair, really they're ever. almost always right. But every now and yeah, again, you it's, rely it's, on that. it is the greatest feeling, though. If you've backed Cadillac, and the cameraman is going to Tom Patrol, and you're you get that sinking feeling, and then all of a sudden it comes up, first number yeah. eight Cadillac. You're like, oh yeah. yes. Or so. the director goes in their ear when they've just seen the slow mo, like, zoom, go back to and the cameraman quickly flip flops. You're like, oh, thank goodness, yeah. Um, yeah, but they do. They rarely get it get, get it wrong. And then when Dawn Patrol came up, um, but again with Dawn Patrol, he's run a mighty race on his reappearance start as well, especially yep. at this trip because we know it was on the sharp side for him. But his stamina's really kicked in in the finish as well. Uh, but Cadillac has shown an awful lot of guts here. He had every opportunity to shirk the issue, but he just never did. So I I love the attitude that he showed, and I think that uh, the comments afterwards from Jesse Harrington was that they're going to try and win a Group One with him. And he might have a one more run and then go for the Irish champion stakes because he loves Leopard Sound. So I think that's the plan with Cadillac. Um, he obviously is going to have to continue to up his progress, but he's only a three-year-old. He only has six starts to his name. So that could well be possible. We know that he's gritty and tough and he's won this nicely. And with Dawn Patrol, as you say, you'd imagine the Melbourne Cup will be straight on his agenda come the end of the season, provided travel complications don't scupper that. But otherwise, he could run in the Irish St. Ledger. But you just have to look at who his owner is. So having his first out for Joseph O'Brien and for Lloyd Williams as well here. So the main target and the, the reason for buying this whore 
horse you would have thought is 100% to to run him in the Melbourne Cup. So, yeah. And uh, and with True Self as well, back in third, she's probably, she'll probably be heading down under at the back end of the season as well. You'd imagine that would be the end goal for her as we saw last season. Big so, time. yeah, a couple of, couple of down unders and Cadillac to try and step up to Group 1 company. Yep. And um, to be fair, that victory at Leopardstown in the... Champion Juvenile Stakes, I think is what they've renamed it now. Um, is it the KPMG Champion Juvenile Stakes? Uh, that was that was deadly. That was an incredible mm, yeah. performance that day. Uh, beating the mighty Van Gogh. Oh, yeah, yeah, Van Gogh. <laughs> but, you know, oh, what, wasn't beaten far by St. Mark's Basilica in the Jewers, to be fair, and ran a, ran a stormer in yeah. the Breeders' Cup as well. So, look, um, he clearly retains Group 1 potential and Don Patrol... My understanding is that equine talent can travel like last year, but humans can't. Because mm. Australia remains cut off. Mm. Like the Chinese are getting very, another way the Chinese have bought up all the natural resources in Australia. They like, they, they own the ports, they own most of the mines. They, they've bought up a lot of the um, oil drilling locations and they want to come in. And the Aussies are like, nah, no one's coming in. <laughs> And it's leading to really, really heavy tensions. So, um, like, there's a friend of mine is would be coming to a wedding that I was talking to you about. We actually get to go to a mm. wedding! Yay! <laughs> Did someone say alcohol? <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> um, uh, watch now. The country's going to get shut down again. Watch. Just yeah. you wait and see. I guarantee you. Um, I, I guarantee you that Ireland is supposed to reopen almost fully in July. Not going to happen. I'm sorry to to break it to you. It ain't going to happen. And I've got good sources. It's not going to happen. So anyway, we'll just... we'll. I'm happy to go to a wedding with 50 people. Suits me. I don't have to make small talk with people I've never met before. Oh, and how did you two meet? Oh, God, you bored as bloody... Just meet up with people I care about and get to hug them and see them and yay! Anyway... Uh, the Dubai Duty Free Celebration Stakes is a listed race that went to Johnny Murta and Ben Cohen with four home two. It's a bizarre name. Uh, beating Carthoom, <laughs> who cost a million. What does that mean? I like him. No, it <laughs> means him. Gel- exactly. Gelt him. Gelt him. Gelt him. Gelt him. So he'd, <laughs> he'd been supported for the uh, for the jersey into 17-2 and just did not get involved behind Creative Force. Um, he's run better here, but Johnny Murch's horse has just been too good for him. Yes, and he came into this race on the back of a solid second um, in another listed race at Leopardstown where he did well to get as close to the winner as he did after being held up and closing well. So that was a solid run with the reopposing Cinewan back in third and you imagine for all that Cinewan was favourite here that he would struggle to reverse the form with four home two as you say very frustrating name to say <laughs> but with with this winner he's um, he's just very progressive this lad he's taken another step forward here you'd have to say and he really did have to be brave as well here to basically make the gap up the far side rail which meant he did basically pay to all of Storm Legend's chances because he did well not to clip heels and come down in the end. And Chris Hayes just hacked him home from that point anyway. But the key to four home two is getting him to settle early because he is a keen and free going sort. He has to wear a red hood in the preliminaries. But Ben Cohen did 
get him settled well early on. For all, he was so keen enough um, and, and sweating as well. But he's just a very brave horse to respond to pressure, to go for gaps that are barely there. And it was also good to see him ridden a bit more forwards here as well than the last day. Just enough to have him covered up so he wouldn't be ferociously keen. But close enough that he wasn't going to be outdone for positioning too far like he was the last time. And he had to go for that gap because he was ultimately forced to go for the gap as Bell Image was going forwards. And so there was no gap to the left home too so he had to switch and go for the gap then on the rail and if Ryan Moore gives you a gap on his inside for just a second you have to be quick enough mentally and to have a horse to go for that gap and get that gap and that's exactly what Ben Cohen did so it was a do or die move at that stage but with a horse like this with as much turn of foot he was able to get the gap still have enough in reserve to then see out his race to the line so it was a really good performance from an improving horse and 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 that's what i thought above above all else it was just the rate of improvement for him for all that he's just run out the um the Aidan O'Brien horse by half length into second there but no good good for him for home too for all that um, i think Ben Cohen did get in trouble a little bit for that move yeah he's got a slight little bit of a holiday hasn't he um, mm-hmm. Yeah, five day ban, five day holiday. Mm-hmm. Head on down to La Hinch, Ben Cohen, and just <laughs> relax and enjoy yourself. Uh, what did you make of the run of the horse that the three of us thought was the absolute solid moral of the weekend, Cinnamon? Oh, this lunatic! Um, see, I, <laughs> he's just mental, isn't he? I remember him. Oh, last year in the Irish Derby, and he was just oh. Do you do you remember him going down to yes. uh, the sorry, sorry the Irish Two Thousand Guineas? Yes, him going down yeah. to the start. Yeah, he was just a nightmare. Um, I do see he has an awful. Yeah, I think he has an awful lot of ability. This horse, but I just I didn't see him oh, turning the form around before home too, and. With Cinnamon, I thought he had every chance to to back up the um uh, to back up what the market was suggesting to us at least anyway that he was going to be turning the form around and I don't think there were any notable excuses at least anyway because the winner you know he would have had enough excuses had he have got beaten there at least anyway but in terms of Cinnamon, I don't know I just the jury is still out with him for me, I think, at least anyway, because he was ridden prominently, what, sat third, three off the rail, no traffic issues. Um, the eventual second, he got a toe in from him, travelled there well on the bridle, and then, yeah, no, I, I don't think there was any excuses. He just was very weak in the finish. Yeah, he is a big, he is like a big, but he's four years old now, so it's kind of like how long can you keep saying he's a big leggy, sort of that kind of frame of a horse which he is who who just has that sort of weak style in a finish but then are you gonna what are you gonna do with him trip wise i don't know it's it's tricky it's tricky yeah. to judge on exactly what trip he wants whether or not he's just weakens out of things or whether he wants to step up and trip he wants to come down i find him a, i just find him a very difficult horse to place that, that was the thing that was in my head was do you need to drop him in trip in terms of like, do you want to find the seven furlong race for him? And Yeah, because that's him, the thing, because he travels so well into it. Travels really well, but is he just mentally not tough when it comes to a finish? Is that is uh, is, yeah. is it ultimately that the story? And that's the question that I'm going to ask you, because you spend your life with horses. Like do, When you look yeah. at him, do you just think, nah, he's not going to do it? Yeah, basically. I just I just can't have any. I think maybe it's because I have three-year-old Cinewan in my head still as well. But even then, 
you know, he is still keen and he is still buzzy and he chucks his head around and he's he's still immature and he hasn't got the excuses for being immature nowadays. You know, he, this is his third season of running and I just think he should have copped on a bit by now. I know he's a Kingman. Kingman's can be buzzy enough, at least anyway. And he travels so well into his races that you'd imagine, you think to yourself, well, sure, maybe dropping him back down in trips then is the answer. But then as soon as he's under pressure, he doesn't find as much as looks likely and almost shapes as though he's fading out of it at a rate of knots that he would want to step up in trip. But then he travels so well into it that you're like, well, what do you want? <laughs> like, do you he's want an to? enigma. Yeah. So I, I have to, I think you've actually hit the nail on the head there where I just, I don't know about his resolve in the finish when you couldn't doubt this winner. He's as tardy as nails for home too. But, yeah, I do wonder with Sinawan if he's just not mentally there and, and that kind of shows in his finishing effort as well. I, I, I would be wanting to side with him next time out anyway. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like I'm going to follow this horse over a cliff. Because uh, like, you look back at the... Okay, the Irish 2000 guineas, highly overrated. Like, mm. a highly, there's a reason Siskin is standing at Southern Japan. Mm. Well, apologies to our Japanese listeners. Um, do we have listeners in Japan? We probably do. There's a lot of expats who who listen. Like America is our third most listened to country. United Kingdom, mm. Ireland, America, and I think it's the pandemic. I think it's a lot of like um, people who are based in Boston, uh, New York, and just wanting a taste of home. So um, hey, wherever you're listening from, I don't really care. Um, it's great to have you on board. But the UK and Irish listenership. Can never thank you enough. It's incredible. It's ridiculous. It's insane. Thank you very, very much. Um, so the Irish 2000 Guineas form is rubbish, but you can't deny that Armory is a good horse and he's got close to mm. him. Safe Voyage is obviously a good horse and he's gotten close to him. And he needed, like, he could not, Mick Halford could not have stated any clearer how badly he needed the run on debut. So I really expected a step forward here. And maybe it was a case of he thought he'd done enough, but he hadn't. And that mm -hmm. next time out, he'll improve. But Jesus, then is it the next day and the next day? And yeah. oh, I don't know. Like he's entered over a mile one next time out. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. A group three mile one, the Mel stakes. I don't know about that. And mm. um, he also has an entry, entry in the Sussex. <laughs> do, 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 do. Moving on, the five twenty-five. Uh, Sir Jack, <laughs> Sir Jack Thomas uh, wins for Ada McGuinness and um, Keen McRedmond, who is claiming seven. So well done to Keen. Uh, talk to me. Yeah, and Sir Jack Thomas. It was a big price for this race, but you could understand why, because three starts back, he looked near back to his best over this course and distance, but he just didn't show up in the same way on his next two starts. But back on the same mark again as that that run three starts ago gave him every chance to bounce back to better form here and but this was just a really good ride i thought from kim mcredmond who has been he's just been having a cracking season this year because he settled this lad one off the rail one off the eventual second in fact and rode him mid dip and but you're always concerned in those positions in a premier handicap of getting trapped by those coming down on your outside. And especially when in some of our earlier races, the action unfolded down the center of a track. But the most perfect gap 
opened up for Sir Jack Thomas exactly at the two furlong pole. And just as it did, Dream Tail, the eventual second, had nowhere to go because the gap that he wanted was taken by Sir Jack Thomas. And we talk about fine margins in these premier handicaps, and that's the type of thing that can make the difference between winning and losing. And I'm not saying that Dream Tail would have won um, there four, but you know, if he if he hadn't or if he had got that certain gap. But if the two had been in the reverse positions throughout, then it's very likely that Dreamtail would have won here. And if they face each other again, and this time Dreamtail gets the luck in running and the positions, they may well be reversed. But again, those ridden off the pace, threading through to come out on top is what we've seen come to effect here. So as I say, just in Premier Handicaps, the, the smallest margins, the smallest bit of positioning can make all the difference. And I think that that's what's happened here between Sir Jack Thomas and Dream Tail. I don't think one is necessarily better or better handicap than the other in here. I just think that that's all it was. Um, the horse to take out the race from further back, though, Eagle's Flight, I think, because he's done really well to come from second last place to challenge down the centre of the track. He's picked up well with plenty of ground to have to make up with the winner and the second horse who had already kicked before his challenge then just plateaued to an extent, but he plugged on well. So of those in behind, I thought that Eagle's flight was the one to take out of the race to go forwards, especially because he's unlikely to be uh, put up on the back of this. So not one to dismiss next time out, but no, just a good ride by Kim at Redmond. I think the one to take out of it is Joyush for Sarah. Mm. Maybe I'm a bit biased here with Sarah, but um, no, I actually, I've watched this race back several times. He gets upset in the stalls. Uh, he's very, very keen. Shane had a, a difficult job on his hands. Uh, he manages to get him to go and stride out and eventually he just gets swamped. And I think the the margin of his defeat is exaggerated towards the end. And um, until now, most people may not look at that and, and go, um, oh yeah, you know, we'll just ignore him. I'd put him in your tracker. And I'd follow him next time out because he's going to be a decent price. And I think this is good racing. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very, very good racing. You look back at what he did at Dundalk, racked up three in a row. Um, Sarah said on the show that he'd had a, a couple of problems, probably just needed it. You know, he ran on the 3rd of June. He's not beaten far. He's not beaten far here, officially five and a half lengths. Um, I think this is a decent race to be had in him. And uh, he's the mm-hmm. one that I would take out of it. But all credit to Keen and to to um, Adrian McGuinness with Sir Jack Thomas, but Jayush is the horse that I will be um, keeping a very close eye on and uh, trying to land a nice touch with. Uh, speaking of landing nice touches, Toe Plus. Going to be doing Dave Race betting. I mean, there's only one place to go, and that's Toe Plus. Now, you might be doing Toe Bets with whatever bookmaker you're signed up to, and they're giving you the option to bet with the Toe. That's great. That's fantastic. Just one problem. You're not getting the Tote SP guarantee and you're not getting Tote Plus. And Tote Plus gives you 10% on top of your winnings. And I explained that to you at the start with the um, place pot just today at Linkfield, Monday, 28th of June. The dividend was £888.80. pence. But with Tote Plus, £977.68. You want that extra gravy, but there's only one place that you're going to get it, and that is Tote, directly from them. They are literally giving you money. Reach out and take it. 
tote.co.uk, tote.ie, or the official tote app. If you've never bet with tote before, there's even a free bet. I mean, come on. It's time. It's time to bet with tote. Tote.ie, tote.co.uk, or the official tote app. Full terms and conditions are available. Print them out. Don't print them out. That's not back, that's not good for the environment. Read them on your iPhone 12. Isn't that right, Kate? <laughs> it is. <laughs> I feel like we're about to jump into an advert for it. With the extra definition and the zooming, you can see all on your new iPhone 12. Yeah. <laughs> the camera is damn good. The, I, I should say, the camera is seriously good. I should say the multiple cameras are damn good. Anyway, this is for the tote, not for yeah. Apple. The hell are we talking about? Yeah, yeah back up, back on track, back <laughs> on track. Yet. Um, yet, yet. I like, I like your optimism. Uh, so yeah, look at it in your iPhone 12. You know, read it. It's fun. Terms and conditions are always fun to read. There's nothing bad in there. It's all good. Uh, 18 plus BeGambleAware.org. I cannot tell you how much of a game changer Tote Plus is. Friends of mine uh, placed their bets with Tote for the first time during Royal Ascot, and they had a good Royal Ascot. And they couldn't believe the difference it made to them. The the bigger payouts that they got through Tote, uh, they beat the SP in the majority of races, and they were getting that 10% bump on their winnings. So they're converted. They're Tote all the way now. And um, if you're like me and you love doing exactas, trifectas, and play spots, 10% on top of your winnings, tote.co.uk, tote.e, the official Tote app. Cura on Sunday... Uh, I'll briefly mention the 130, the Bernstein stud maiden, because there was an awful lot of talk about Jim Bulger's horse. Manuel Gord. Uh, this horse couldn't be beaten. I was told, uh, this horse can't be beat. Burp, burp, old stock. Uh, the person listening will know exactly who that is. Um, Jim Bulger has bred this horse himself, and uh, there was a massive gamble on him in a race where seemingly plenty of horses were fancied, including Aidan O'Brien's Shark Boy, who did kind of drift out a little bit in the uh, in a reaction to Manu Accord's support. Um, I would definitely follow him next time out. Uh, all credit to Ger Lyons for winning it with Atomic Jones, but Manu Accord is a horse to, fi- to follow, and um, I'm excited about him. And he has a Group 1 entry for the... Vincent O'Brien National Stakes. So I'm very, very intrigued. Go watch it back on Racing TV. He's not beaten far, just a little bit green. Didn't have a huge amount towards the finish. He'll improve for that. And um, he's a, a winner in waiting. Uh, the next race then, the two o'clock, so the early stud stakes. Disappointingly small field. No excuses mm. with Jim Bulger's horse here. Yet for Aidan O'Brien, uh, gets beaten by two quarters of a length by his son, Joseph, with uh, Velocidad and um, the Stack Source, who was the even money favorite, was fairly well held in the end. Um, it's a pretty decisive win for Declan and Joseph here. Yeah, I think it was. And it was very interesting to see what this filly was going to do here because she had won her maiden at Tipperary nicely and was straight away sent into this group too. But she is still in the colors of Amarie O'Brien, yep. which does make you wonder, yeah, she's she's difficult to sell, but you'd have to be thinking that we'll see her in different colors next time out, surely. Um, because this was a very likable performance yet again. It was. They, and they through- bought her, it was Dunica bought her. This is what's strange about it. Dunica bought her, so she was withdrawn in this, the Tats sales for Folds in 2019, she was withdrawn. And then Dunica bought her for 25,000 guineas 
25 yeah. grand, Jesus, uh, <laughs> in October of last year. So nice purchase, Danica. Nice purchase mm. on, on behalf of your, your of your mother. Um, uh, and Anne-Marie, we know, is, is very, I mean, Anne-Marie had a license before Aiden. Um, she's an incredibly capable breeder. She bred high definition. She bred um, uh, Santa Barbara, who we're going to talk about. She's bred Iridessa uh, and, and plenty of very good horses as well. Um, so this horse took 11 grand on debut and uh, has now taken 59,000. And Ooh. someone's going to come in with a stupid amount of money to pay for a clean yeah. eagles and they're and uh well done Amory. That's what that's all I have to say about that. Well yeah. done, Amory. <laughs> nice bit of money. Admire yes, the hustle. Admire the hustle. Oh, pure hustle. Yeah. <laughs> it what it is interesting. She's got a very yeah, she has got an interesting background. I mean, she hasn't got a stand-up pedigree either. So maybe, you know, that's what that's what doesn't sell her as much on paper and she had to prove it on the track. I, I'm not entirely sure. I thought I found it a bit strange. Um, but yeah, as you say, you'd imagine that someone will buy her up for big money and she'll be in different colors next time out, at least anyway. Um, but it was, it was a really like performance for all. There were only the four runners in here and for all, I think her keenness was exaggerated by her head carriage and she does look as though she's got a sensitive mouth because you can see that Declan McDonough wasn't struggling with her to hold her through strength. He was just finding it difficult to settle her without pulling on her mouth, which meant her head came up, you know, like a Pez machine, we all say. So I wouldn't be put off by that at all here. And the pedigree, I mean, would suggest she shouldn't have a problem with stepping up and trip. But Joseph O'Brien did say that at this stage, She's showing plenty of speed, so there's no need to step her her up and trip just yet. And that the Cheveley Park will probably be her long-term target, at least anyway. And and as I say, the way that she's going, all roads do look as though they should be leading there. I think I may just have to see it another time, though, because this was only a forerunner contest. And uh, yeah, I'm just not entirely sure. Because, I mean, at least with Yet in second, this was a much better performance for her in comparison to her run in the Queen Mary, where to be fair, she wasn't really overly well found in the market anyway. And up in trip here to six furlongs has seen her to much better effect. She was taken forwards, tried to make all before then she's plugged on again over the trip to get second here and reverse the form with Cheer Up Sleepy Jean from Ascot. With Cheer Up Sleepy Jean just being, she's just two on the bridle over this extra one furlong she was getting here. So you'd imagine she'll drop back to five next time out because she has so much pace and it will also help her settle better next time out as well. So hopefully sleep up, cheer up Sleepy Jean back to five. Yet, hopefully she'll be able to show up this kind of a performance again. And the way that she then plugged on suggests that she may even go up and trip. And Velocidad right now, I think that she, she is bang where she should be with that speed and stamina and with further improvement likely to come. So, yeah, I, I thought it was a likable performance from Velocidad. But as I say, you can just take a a skeptical enough view of it just because of it only had the the four runners and you you could pick potential holes in as to why some of the others may not have fired but um but yeah all the same i look forward to see what she's going to do next yeah i'm i'm the same and i think you make a very good point look it was only a four runner race and it's entirely possible that yet needed this that cheer up sleepy jean has for whatever reason just not run a race and um missing matron's not really up to this class so mm. she's almost certainly going to be sold 
Like someone's going to come in because the money in flat racing is just money in racing is insane at the top level. So someone's going to want to get hold of her. Uh, But they might find out that they've missed the boat, that she's Mm. won her maiden, she's won her group two. And it's like, now you're going to have a broodmare on your hands and a valuable Mm -hmm. one at that. But um, because she's one of group two, but it might just be that the best has best has been done. Uh, anyway, we'll move on to the Rockingham, which went mm-hmm. to Urban Beat. Uh, Johnny Merton in the winner's enclosure again with Ben Cohen uh, winning by two lengths from Master Matt and uh, Jungle Jane. Uh, what did you make of Urban Beat's performance? Very good performance in general. To carry top weight in a premier handicap is never an easy thing to do. And after only coming third in this race last year off of a two-pound lower mark than he was carrying here, I thought it was all very good. But we still knew that this handicap mark looked fair as he dropped back into a handicap from contesting the Group 2 Greenland stakes on his latest start with him running well in listed races and winning a Group 3 sign-off last season. So it was difficult to know exactly where we were with him in the context of this race, but he had everything seemingly in his favour. The fact he was drawn in 17, right on the stand side, and we, I mean, we didn't know whether the ground was going to be too fast for him. I guess that was a bit of a concern prior to the off. Um, but he, he just, he, he's a funny horse because he kind of falls into a bit of a middle ground, really, between he is a very good horse, but he's probably just shy of an out and out group performer. But it's, but then he'd be too highly handicapped for most handicaps, you'd have to say. But here, it's all come right for him because he was reportedly as fit as he's been all season here. And he was tuned to perfection for this race. And I thought beforehand it was going to be an advantage to draw, to be drawn high, as I said, which we know of this course and distance is generally the place to be down the sand side rail. So it was interesting to see the field break and then to only have three runners come up the sand side rail. And it almost looked as if he was going to be left by himself for a few strides with the other two who came with him seemingly in two minds for a few strides. But it wouldn't have mattered even if they had done, I don't think, because the other two on the sand side weren't much help to Urban Beat at all, really. And it just goes to show how genuine Urban Beat is as a horse to not need the help to coax him along and to help him battle to the line. Because there aren't many horses out there who will continue to battle to the line for you on a solo mission. And that's exactly what this lad did. And for all the other two couldn't get into the places, Arnhem, who ended up finishing back in fifth, uh, probably did show you that the Sandside Rail was the more favourable part of the track because he managed to run into fifth and Urban Beat was only aided by that rather than him winning in spite of the draw. And it was just very good to see the class act in a handicap come to the fore. And it might well encourage others to chance the same, which is always going to be a positive for these big handicaps, I think. So I'm always pleased when the top weight manages to come out on top and that's what's happened here. Nicely summed up. So now we come to the feature race of the day. The <laughs> Pretty Polly Stakes, uh, Group 1 for <laughs> Phillies and Mares. Uh, Santa Barbara. So the second of the O'Brien High Horses alongside High Definition. Um, both bred by Anne-Marie. Both bought by uh, Mr. Vesterberg. Um and uh, transferred to the Coolmore ownership, as, as he is now very much part of that. And she's run a blinder, to be mm-hmm. fair, but she has come up short against Thundering Knights. I think on another day, she might win this race. The only thing I would say is, and this is the question I want to ask is, 
before we start analyzing it. How strong a race do you think this was? Um, in, ter- in comparison to recent years or just in the context of this season? In both, actually. So in comparison to recent years, probably not the strongest renewal. In comparison to the fillies we have on offer them this season over a mile two, yeah, but it would be bang there from what we've seen so far this season. It would be a um, a pretty good gauge for taking uh, fillies forwards and to give context to some others. So, yeah, it wasn't it, it wasn't a vintage renewal. I don't think of a pretty poly, but in the context of where we stand this season, it would give us a, a decent enough sort of yardstick of a race if that makes sense to um to be able to assess other other horses but yeah that, that for me there was no standout former here there was no standout um horse i would then be saying oh i can't wait to see them string together a few other group ones now and and such like yeah that it wouldn't fall into that kind of category okay so thundering knights had come up against broom and fallen short she'd then gone to america and this again by the way fair play to naomi tucker because naomi tucker tipped up uh, Thundering Nights on the basis of the fact that this horse had gone to Belmont Park um, where she describes Belmont as being much more of a European favouring track like Keeneland, very tight turning track where you're always on the turn um, Belmont's a little bit more European and the Thundering Nights ran a massive race behind Mean Mary so that was her pick and well done Naomi another winner uh, on the final front of podcast and I think we were all, I think Andrew and I as well, were, were pretty keen to take on um, Santa Barbara. I was willing to give Shale one more roll of the dice, at which point Andrew, I think, then said, how many more rolls of the dice are you going to give to the Acropolis, Shale, and mm-hmm. um, Van Gogh? Uh, <laughs> it's over. It's over. It's done. It's done. We're <laughs> <Both> three. <laughs> um, but Thundering Nights is a good winner for, for Naomi, so well done to her. Uh Mm-hmm. There's a little in it uh, at the finish, but she has she has to give away a penalty to Santa Barbara, and she still managed to go and win. Uh, I know that you can make the case that Santa Barbara's had to switch right, and um, she makes a very strong challenge. But Thundering Nights, as Ruby Walsh described on Racing TV, effectively... Santa Barbara comes level with her. And he may, might not exactly knows she might not exactly knows her, but they definitely get extremely close together. And Thundering mm. Nights picks up again and goes on mm. uh, to win by next. So she is tough. Yeah, with twelve extra pound on her back as well. Yeah, Santa Barbara, which, as you say, is, yeah. is definitely a big mention as well for all that. Yeah. <laughs> as a positive for Thundering Nights, but also, as you say, just as a, a little bit of a, a level of Santa Barbara. But then again, we know why Santa Barbara is is, is getting the way. You know, she's only a three-year-old and Thundering Nights is a four-year-old. And as you say, with, um, yeah, that extra she was having to carry. But it was interesting that Joseph O'Brien had said beforehand that he wished he had a few more weeks to prepare Thundering Nights for this race after, they say, coming here on the back of an unlucky second at Belmont just three weeks prior. So in that sense, you can mark her win up if anything and yes she was decent enough pricey but we knew she had very good form to her name including when finishing second behind broom over this course and distance on her penultimate start in a group three and here she has had to show an awful lot of guts she really has to fend off the late challenge from santa barbara 
because it was very interesting to watch back and see the ride that Shane Cross has given this filly because he would have known, he knew that the favourite Kay and Pepper was going to go forwards. So he took a toe into the race from Kay and Pepper. And whilst he had that, he was able to box Ryan Moore in on the rail on Santa Barbara. And he always rode thundering nights, just a neck to half a length in front of Santa Barbara, which penned her in on the rail and would allow Shane Cross first run on Santa Barbara when Shane Cross decided to go. And as well as that, he had Kay and Pepper bang in front of him and in his sights. So he was in the perfect position to really capitalize tactically on the two most dangerous rivals in this race. Because he knew he had, he knew Ryan Moore had nowhere to go. And Ryan Moore was hostage to when Shane Cross wanted to kick on Thundering Knights to go and win her race. Because the only gap that was going to see Ryan Moore to winning effect was to his left, which is exactly where Thundering Knights was. And the only thing that might have caught Shane Cross out here was when he asked his filly to go and win her race, he allowed her to drift to the left whilst having his stick in his right hand and that in turn opened up a much needed gap for Ryan Moore to slot into and he he won't have needed a second invitation for a gap like that to appear so Ryan Moore takes it instead of having to challenge around thundering nights which would have taken a lot more time and energy but the line has then come in time well not it hasn't come in time for thundering nights because she was going away at the line because as you say thundering nights and santa barbara they've got head to head and then thundering nights has found extra again so maybe santa barbara was just run out of things at that point anyway from having to come back come from further back than ideal but either way santa barbara she has at least enhanced her public profile here and has shown that the high regards she's held in back at Ballet Doyle are well-founded because we as a racing public hadn't seen that yet from her on the track. But here she's clearly come forwards from her Oaks and her Guineas run. She looks to have learned plenty for those experiences and she has at least proven herself up to group one standard now on this running. For all that she still has only finished second, her head carriage remains high, but she was far less green. I think this is her optimal trip though, 10 furlongs, and she should take you know, it's, I mean, it's difficult to know exactly where she's going to go, but with the progression, she should go very close again next time out, you would have thought, with further improvement likely to come on the back of this run. So, yeah, it is it is going to be interesting. Very interesting what they're going to do with Thundering Knights as well, because I know that Joseph O'Brien had said that he'd actually like to take her back to America, um, probably to go for the Beverly D. And she also then could obviously run in the, the NASA or the Matron. And, you know, she's a group one winner now, so she can kind of have a free roll of the dice there for going forwards. But with Santa Barbara, maybe the Irish Oaks would be next on the agenda of Santa Barbara in a month's time to stick to her own age group. But again, I just, I feel that a mile two might see her to to best effect. That's probably my gut instinct with Santa Barbara at the minute. Yeah, I'd agree with you. And also, good luck beating your stable companion, Snowfall. In yeah, yeah, exactly. She, she does go there, but uh, she may very well. There's um, there's a number of races she's entered for. She's entered in the Falmouth. So she yeah. was fourth in a 1,000 guineas, but they've got Mother Earth for that. They've got a lot of horses for that race. They've got Joan of Arc. Mm. They've got Empress Josephine, depending on the ground. Um, she's entered over a mile one in the uh, Curra Kilboy Estate Stakes. Uh, yeah, Kilboy Estate Stakes. Um, group two, Phillies and Mares. Uh, she's entered in the Sussex. <laughs> yeah, but the race, the, the race that would make sense to me is the NASA. 
yeah, same. Exactly the right trip. That would be the race that would also make sense to me. And sometimes it can just be a little bit of an afterthought as well, the NASA for, um, yeah, horse not using that as a main target. So if she was trained for that now as her as her next main target with the trip ideal for her, the ground likely to be ideal for her as well. We don't know who exactly is going to turn up for it. So, but again, for me, if I was, if I, where I wanted to see Santa Barbara next was Vanessa, definitely. I thought, yeah, it's like, yeah, we don't know what's going to turn up there. So I can't even. Let's talk Bally Doyle bingo for a second. So love, yeah. love is due to go for the King George, right? Yeah. And pretty sure that, that was the last thing I heard. Yeah. Snowfall is going to go for the Irish Oaks. Yeah. St. Mark's Basilica runs at the weekend in the Coral Eclipse. Um, which would leave Shale for the uh, not Shale, sorry. Oh, I've got yeah, Shale. That's another horse I want to talk to, talk to you about. Uh, which would leave Santa Barbara for the NASA. Yeah. Santa yeah. So hopefully probably, that'll be the case. Adair, uh, if Adaria runs, she takes the beating, but she'd get the the allowances. Um, yeah. Wonderful tonight is probably going to go for the King George. So the sevens mm-hmm. that's available about Santa Barbara is probably fair. Mm. but I need to see her do it I will I will yeah, say that yeah that's it yeah it's still taking her on that degree of hope isn't it that but at least she has improved and there should be more improved she, yeah um, well I don't know if she really improved for the Oaks but she's definitely improved for this at least anyway so Would, yeah I um there's just there's a tinge yeah, of I, high definition offer in that they both like high definition is bombed in the Irish Derby um she's bombed in Santa Barbara's bombed in the Oaks um, so now high definition has to go and bounce back and Santa Barbara did bounce back here with a very, very gutsy performance, but she's getting weight from Thundering Nights and still couldn't beat her. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But Naomi was raving about the horse that Thundering Nights was beaten by in America, the, the uh, Mean Mary. She says Mean Mary's mm. an absolute monster of a horse and that to, be, mm. to get as close as she did to her is no mean feat. Pardon the pun. Um, yeah, so you know, I have heard of Mean Mary. Was she meant to come over to Ascot? There was there talk was of that. Yeah, there was talk of that. They they really highly regard her. So yeah, as I say I definitely heard of her in some context with some race. So yeah, she was like say highly thought of. That so, was, and that was a good race. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And Snowfall is currently the favourite for the Nassau Stakes, and I'm not entirely certain that's the route she'll go. I would imagine she'll go Irish Oaks. Maybe she goes King George. I, I doubt it. I'd say she'd go Irish Oaks and then Yorkshire Oaks. I was just going to say, would she go Yorkshire Oaks? Ark. Yeah. Or just, yeah, no, or just put or, away for the Ark. Or maybe, maybe Oaks. Yorkshire Oaks Irish Champion Stakes. Ooh, that's quite a, a heavy load for a three year old going onto the Ark. Or, or do you mean not go for the Ark then? No, no, no. Ark then. I'll go see Arca. Yeah, it's an O'Brien yeah, three-year-old though. They just and you know, yeah, they, they take like it. The most. They just they take it. They and she's out of a Galileo mare. So technically speaking, you can use that Galileo argument. But um, yeah, I think we're both of the of, you, of the view so that Santa Barbara is worth another go, but we need to see more. Yeah, that's it. And and that's the frustrating part is that we probably won't get the price either. So I think, well, no, not frustrating, probably getting a free hit at, at sitting back and saying, well, sure, I need to see it. And if she wins, she wins because, yeah, as you say, just for all that she's improved and she has proven herself up to this grade in this run. Yeah, to be winning 
uh, a group one, especially with the yeah the 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 talent in the Phillies and Mares division, three and four year olds and and such like at the minute. I think you do need to to see it next time out rather than sort of you know find it finding another excuse and she's unlikely to be a price that you that you'd be tempted in by anyway that's why i take the sevens about the nasa but you're completely mm. guessing that that's what they're going to do yeah that's the issue and it's not like they're stuck for options love could no, turn up there you know yeah um snowfall could turn up there but i doubt it i doubt it. I'm trying to get inside the mind of aiden o'brien <laughs> I um, wish I'm too stupid too. <laughs> oh God! Uh, instantly being able to just communicate with racehorses and tell them what to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of uh, communicating with racehorses and getting them to bounce back, Aaron Naveen, mm. fifty-four lengths behind Subjectivist, comes out and pulverizes them. Only days later, in the Comer Group International Curry Cup, um, love this horse. Uh, mm-hmm. love his name love the story love the fact that he cost an absolute fortune 1.3 million guineas give me some Geld of that him. him now uh, yeah. so he's beaten Pondus who was sent off favourite for this race for Joseph by seven lengths um, Colin Keane was on board Ryan rode Passion who was second favourite look it's very easy to, to see why um People were unwilling to back him. He'd he'd come out at Dundalk and bolted up. Then he goes to Leopardstown and was very very disappointing. And he gets thumped in the in the Gold Cup as an outsider. But as I said, uh, you know what? A week later, ten days later, he's back out and um, puts up this performance. So the question I have for you is this, uh, Kid Tracy: Did all of the other jockeys? Look at Colin Keane striding out in front and our on the veen and having studied the recent form go, right, we don't need to worry about that. He's going to come back to us. And did they get themselves beaten? Or is our on the veen so good that Colin Keane was able to go out and set those fractions and then maintain them? Mm. I Honestly, I think it's a bit of both. I know that's such a cop-out answer, but I really do. Because, I mean, when... Yes, Colin Keane has ridden this horse perfectly. We know that this horse has every bit of ability as well because we know his connections, we know his pedigree, we know, you know, so much about him. And also, it wasn't as though it was unexpected that he was going to go forwards. I think everyone thought he was going to go forwards, especially because he was dropping back down and trip from, you know, the Gold Cup um, trip last time out over two mile four. So dropping back to a mile six, you expected him to go forwards. You probably expected him to be the pace maker for passion again because that's what he was essentially used as at Ascot and uh, but at the same time the rest of the field they were taken along by aircraft carrier and questionnaire who just couldn't go around Naveen's gallop anyway no. and they were holding up then the rest of the field of horses who probably would have been able to lay up with around Naveen but but they they couldn't get past the two horses that were then leading the peloton essentially, and that has completely paid to the chances of the horses ridden in behind as well. Because and as we very often see at the Curra, when a horse gets loose on the front end and they have an uncontested lead, especially when they start climbing, you just simply can't make up the deficit in behind. So again, Colin Keane he has set perfect fractions 
to be able to capitalize on that. But you can be forgiving for those ridden further back for not necessarily keeping tabs on Aron Levine because he showed very little at Ascot. So a performance like this can't have been an expectation as such. And but as I say, Fruy has the right connections, you know, he, um as we we would expect him to, if you look on paper, to be a group two winner. But Pondus was the only one I would say who was unlucky here because after two furlongs, I mean, there was very little Shane Cross could do. The race was almost taken out of his hands at that point because he was stuck in behind horses who couldn't go the fractions being set up front and were given optimal rides then for their chances and their finishing positions show you that in themselves. And Pondis then had to burst through, try and make up a deficit that was never going to come back to him unless the leader completely stopped in front, which, as said before, at the Cara, when you meet the rising ground, just doesn't happen. So for Pondus, his race was unfortunately mostly decided for him from a very early stage. So I wouldn't be put off by the margin of defeat here at all for Pondus for his next start. But I always like it when a horse seen as a pacemaker gets an uncontested lead and then runs out an easy winner. And I know most people find it unsatisfactory because, but I like it because it just, it goes to show not to discount them. And the horse then also gets to show their true ability on the day as well. So I don't think, I don't think we'll see a Ron Levine as the pacemaker for a seemingly first string next time out, at least anyway. And he could well come back for the Irish St. Ledger next time out. But Aidan also spoke about the time off he had had. He had taken a while to come back to himself, to get him fit. So he may even come forwards from this run himself with Ron Levine. And I, um, yeah, I, I really did like this. So I think it was a bit of both. I think it was a bit of uh, sort of how he was expected to be ridden. He was given a perfect ride, but he clearly does have ability and he hasn't just won this on getting an uncontested lead because he managed to build up that that lead in the in the first place by by his ability, basically. So, yeah, no, I, I really like this run from a Rom Navi. And also, as Pondus tries to close the gap, mm. Colin Keane gives him a little bit of a reminder with the Prokosh, and he does pick up again. Now, he's he's tiring, mm. but he's done all the donkey work, so it's understandable that he's tiring. And mm-hmm. he ran at Royal Ascot in the Gold Cup over 2 mile 4 not so long ago, you know, only a few days ago. Yeah. So it's understandable that, that he would be feeling the effects of that. But he did pick up again. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. I thought that was very admirable about the horse. And mm-hmm. he's priced in the 33s. Look, subjectivist looks the king now. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't see any reason why he couldn't go over for the Goodwood Cup and run a massive race and uh, outrun his odds of 33s each way. Mm, yeah, like I say, outrun, outrun those odds for sure. I don't think that anyone's going to see anything that you fear that when a horse has won in the way that he just has, that anyone's going to get an uncontested, he's going to get any sort of an uncontested lead wherever he goes next, whatever calibre of race he goes for next. Um, no one's going to make that mistake again to let him get out of there. But then again, the horses who were leading the peloton couldn't physically go the pace. So, yeah, he's um, but definitely, as you say, if he does go down that route, then that looks a, a massive price for him. If people want to be taking a skeptical look upon the form, I'm, I'm, I don't want to take a skeptical look upon it at all. So, I think that was a, a serious run. Yeah, I wanted you to to back up my thought on it, and now that you have, oh, you don't need to do that. No, I, I wanted, I wanted your view, and now that I have that, I'm tempted to take the 33s each way. I don't I don't think he has a hope in hell of beating Subjectivist, but I do yeah, think no. he can finish second. I do think, yeah, I do no, think he can price. finish third. 
Um, yeah. And 33 is just way too big. So, you know, if, if, they've, if they've got him now, fine. It was just a case of, did you think this was a an instance where Ryan Moore and um, Shane Cross have looked up and gone, ah, Sauron Naveen, he'll drop back. But no, he mm. didn't. He just kept on going. And it was, by the way, top right from Colin Keane. Well done to him. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> send a maiden. Run him. Run him. <laughs> and guilt him. In the don't don't do that yet. Let's not let's not be hasty. Let's not be hasty. Uh, in the Alchicab uh, Goodwood Cup, be great to see him there. It just seems like the natural race for him to go for. Um, who is your pick of the weekend? Ooh, um, most impressive winner. Yes. Oh goodness. Uh, I mean, I really liked having beat the fact that he was a winner from top weight in a handicap, but I can't. I can't side with the handicap horse. So it, it, it's it's obvious, but it has to be Hurricane Lane. I just, yeah, I thought that was to to show the attitude to run down Lone Eagle and to not even bounce back to form. So he didn't show bad form considering he only had two shoes in the derby. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Hur- Hurricane Lane was um, was a stand-up form and a horse I'm seriously excited about for the rest of the season, naturally so. I completely agree. Um, horse to put into your tracker... Yeah, was um, the, well, I mean, Mojo Star, don't discount him whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and who was, what's, what's the name of my other one? Um, he ended up finishing, oh God, what's his name? Uh, Eagle's Flight, that's the one. There we go. Um, yeah, Eagle Eagle's Flight for a handicap tracker. Okay, uh, I'll give you a two-year-old that I was covering for Talk Sport. At uh, the weekend and tipped him actually tipped him to win you know yeah well done I find a two to one winner Kennedy <laughs> uh, but he bolted up he won by four lengths for Marco Body he's called Encountered he's a son of Churchill he cost one hundred and sixty thousand uh, it was a Doncaster novice race look he's going to have an awful lot more to do on his hands but um, Daniel Muscat just sat there motionless and he's beaten Implore. Uh, for Chiefly Park and John and Teddy Gosden easily. Uh, I was really, really taken with this performance and I'm very, very excited to see wherever it is that Marco Body goes with um, Encountered next time. I'd, I'd, I'd love to see him stepped up to listed Group 3, maybe Group 2 company. But wherever Encountered goes next time, I'd, he's a horse to follow. And um, he was beaten on debut, but it was he was very, very green. It was Haydock, it was soft ground. You need a submarine to get around there. Uh, this was Doncaster, good ground, and he's just watch it back. He's bolted up. Um, so encountered is the horse that I would I would mention. Um, Paul Nichols snatching up everybody's horses. Hide your wife. Hide your kids. Hide your family. <laughs> Paul Nichols coming off in here. He taking everybody's horses. How, why is it so bad that I know exactly what that reference is? Uh, it's the guy who went nuts on TV. He climbing in your window. The cla- he your climbing up. in your stable barns. He's snatching up all your ponies. He's snatching up all your colts. Your, fill- your fillies ain't safe around Paul Nichols. All right? He's stealing them all. Uh, right, so you didn't you didn't actually know this Not before. Not know what that is. <laughs> You'll remember it. You'll remember it. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. How'd you work? <laughs> oh, God. Um, uh, God, all internet memes from back in the day. Right. Uh, so Lawler was the first one to go. Or Layler. What, what, do, we, what do we call him? Layler? Layla. 
Layla. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Kelly Wallacott <laughs> yeah. loses Layla to Paul Nichols. Uh, and then Harry Whittingham is uh, interviewed about the fact that St. Calvados, Simply the Bet, and Rouge Vif have all been moved from his stable, which I think is even more devastating for him and, mm. um, and sent to Paul Nichols. Now, now is the time where we should probably point out the fact that Jared Sullivan did this with Willie Mullins and it didn't exactly work out very well. Mm. Uh, but Paul Nichols is a, is a fantastic trainer. Um, there's, there's a lot of talk about this on, on social media. There's a lot of people have, have uh, strong opinions, strong thoughts. What about yourself? Yeah, I, oh, I'm gutted for Harry Whittington because every yard goes through a quiet spell and he did not have a good season last season. And you just hope that your your big owners will be understanding of that, that knowing that this is the way it goes. We saw it, we've seen it, you know, we see it every single season with a certain yard just won't be informed. I mean, Philip Hobbs himself had it a few years ago even. And, he had it but, again. But luckily... Was it la- mm-hmm. was it last season or the season before? He had it. It came back again. You know, he's yeah. had, he's had it twice now in five years. Yeah, like it just it just happens. I mean, we saw it with Ben Pooling what two mm. years ago now, mm. and even last year, all the horses came out and they looked well handicapped and they won back in the summer. But again, Ben Pooling had a quiet year last year by his standards because I still don't think the horses are hundred percent. And Harry Whittington, who is a brilliant trainer, like he is fantastic to do what he does. His horses always look incredible. They're class acts. He only has a small, smaller string, but he has a lot of quality in there. But last year was, he just, he had an illness throughout his yard. That was pretty evident to see. He just had a torrid time with things. You know, even his stable star, St. Calvados, who had had an infection back in the summer, if I remember correctly. And then he had a delayed um, start back, ran really well in the King George uh, on his reappearance start and, and then unseated at Sandown. So I I feel gutted for him that he wasn't given at least another season to prove that his form has come back because I, I don't really like snap decisions by owners and it it feels as though it's becoming more and more paramount where trainers need to get results instantly and we see horses doing the merry-go-round all the time at the minute and it, it then puts an onus or an unfair onus but the, on the trainer but also to the owner because if owners don't realize by now that the trainer will probably think well sure we may not have this horse for that long if an owner gets a name that they move horses around quickly the trainer thinks well sure we need to get a result out of this we're not going to play the long game if they're a young horse they need time to develop you haven't got that time and especially with jumps racing, you, so many horses need that time, need that luxury. And patient owners are rewarded in time. And you hope that they're going to be rewarded. And 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 those horses are going to be brought along in exactly the manner that they should be. Now, I know that that's not obviously the case with the likes of St. Calvados and Rouge Vif and simply the Bets, who we've known for years. And we know where we stand. But, you know, we know these horses because of what Harry Whittington has done with them. We And just because they've had one dud season doesn't automatically mean that's going to happen next season. And as you say, Paul Nichols, he's a, he's a genius. He's brilliant. And no one would ever dispute Paul Nichols' training exploits. But as you say, with the Sullivan horses that were moved over to Paul Nichols, I mean, he didn't have a winner for how long with them? Definitely, I'm pretty certain none of them won the first time out for him, at least anyway. And then look what happened with Stormy Island. She went straight back to Willie Mullins's, won a great something or other, um, first time out then for Willie Marlins on her first start back. 
So yeah, and uh, and, and with certain, I don't know, it's tricky. With Layla, I can understand different because I feel that the owner has been patient enough um, trying to give every bit of a chance. Layla's now a nine-year-old. This is probably the time where if you're going to be getting anything extra out of him or taking him back to his best form, now is going to be the time that there's not going to be a later time to do that with him. And he, I mean, he hasn't won since November, 2018 when he won the Arkle trial. So, and he's been pulled up on three starts since then. I, I, I know he's not, a, he's not a hundred percent. That horse and he is going to take a lot of effort and training and, you know, and sort of when bleeders have gone to Paul Nichols in the past, he's had varying results. I mean, Lorena, it didn't work out for, at all mm. she bled straight away on the first start so it's gonna be interesting but then he can do so well for like the politologue you know as a bleeder so it'll remain to be seen if Layla takes to it or not and I don't know whether this is going to improve him or not but at least the owner will have a definite answer and he's been more than patient but with the Brooks I'm not entirely sure they've given Harry Whittington every chance here that I would like to see not that they, not that they care about what I think but just just my standpoint at least anyway is um is I don't think that I just think Harry Whittington has been treated quite unfairly here to have them taken away on the back of one dud season when the stable star didn't even run badly on his reappearance start. So no, I'm I'm gutted for him. But it's the way of the world nowadays, unfortunately, in racing. And Paul Nichols knows that himself. We've had a whole load of Sullivan horses transferred from Paul Nichols's to join us at Tom George's to run in France mainly. But we've got Duke de Geneva, Rochester, Fabulous Saga all with us now and Duke de Geneva has won out in France um, and the others have run well and so you know if all that it always looks like it's one way traffic that was that would be something that's under the radar but we've um, yeah we've acquired some horses from from Paul Nichols so it's just the way of the racing world works I'm, I'm not very, saying it's a good thing or a bad thing I'm very glad you said that because I, I wasn't sure if you wanted to or not but oh yeah no problem because the the story, the moral of this story, can be seen as this is a win for the big guy. How is the little guy mm-hmm. supposed to compete? And mm-hmm. I'm by no means calling Tom George a little guy, but like Tom George is a fantastic trainer. Um, he's an absolute genius. And but you know, you put him beside Nicky Henderson or Paul Nichols, yeah. and, and obviously yeah. there, there's going to be a slight imbalance there. Um, mm-hmm. and yet, uh all of the Sullivan horses that are left in Jared Sullivan's ownership have left Paul Nichols and they've now gone to Tom George's and that had gone under the radar that, that mm. I didn't see that reported anywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was, it was kept kind of under the con- just for politics and you know, it's all very complicated. Which, no one really wants to be involved in that. So, <laughs> which is fair enough. And, so, yeah. and Paul probably doesn't want it being highlighted as well, that these horses that were handed to him from Willie Mullins all failed spectacularly. And you mentioned Stormy Ireland. Like, this is mm. the height of embarrassment. Like, uh, and, and I'm mm-hmm. sorry, but you, you kind of have to, look, you praise people when they do well, you criticize when, when they don't. So, um, Harry, don't take offense to this. But four starts for Paul Nichols. He decided for some reason that she's a novice chaser, despite the fact that she's a tiny mm. little thing. Uh, that did not work out well. And... Um, she ended up going to the sales where she made 70K. Mm. She won two races. One of them where she won back the 70K she was bought for and mm-hmm. 29,000 in the other. And she's won by seven lengths at the Punchestown Festival. Her most recent start was on the flat 
were Colin Keane partnered her. She was a long odds on favourite. She got beaten. Clearly something wasn't right that day. But they're obviously going to campaign her on the flat now as well. But she's no longer with Jared Sullivan. She's with somebody else. That's that's embarrassing. Jared Sullivan has sold the horse and she's now upped her value uh, massively. And she's still only seven. So by the mm. time the Cheltenham Festival comes along, assuming she's sound and, and right, she's going to be eight. Um, yeah. So so that's that's not great for, for Paul. In terms of him getting these horses, I feel sorry for Harry Whittington. Uh, for mm. Harry Whittingham, if I can pronounce his name correctly. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, I feel very sorry for him. Um, you and I are, and, and everyone who's listening, we're ultimately, we are racing fans. Mm. Right? At, at the very core of our essence, that's what we are. We love this sport and we're heavily invested in it. I'm very proud to be uh, in the, the David Pipe Syndicate. Um, I honestly feel like I own those horses. I feel very invested every time they run. Um, it's we've we've had some luck. We've had horses who've fallen, and it's pretty horrific. And you're worried about the horse and the jockey. Um, we've had new horses come in. We've had wins. It's you know it's great, and it's it's racehorse ownership, and it's it's a great way to do it. I think syndicate ownership is is fantastic. Mm. But as fans, we become attached to horses. Like I have the late cause of causes is in this studio. Yates, who is standing at, at Coolmore's National Hunt Stud, there is a signed, uh, massive signed, framed photograph of him um, with Johnny Murta winning the fourth Gold Cup, uh, signed by Aiden and uh, Johnny, and it's it's um, got a little name plate on it as well. And in the sitting room, there are uh, three paintings, one of which is the minstrel. Right, I wasn't old enough. I wasn't even born. I wasn't even a concept when the minstrel was racing. But as uh, an, a, someone who appreciates racing history, I love what that horse did. And I think the story of Robert Sangster is amazing. And I, I loved him um, and watching back his old races. So uh, he's one of the horses that, that's there. Norton's coin is, is another one. Um, you and I and everyone listening to this show, get invested in horses like that. Like Hurricane mm. Hurricane Fly, to me, mine. I owned Hurricane mm. Fly. They didn't, I owned them. And mm-hmm. if Hurricane Fly was moved from William Mullins to Paul Nichols, I'd have gone, I'd have thrown a hissy fit. I'd have gone nuts. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, as fans, we are very entitled to an opinion. We are very entitled to say whatever it is that we want to say within reason. And we'll come to that in a second as well. But it's the owner's prerogative what they do with the horse. If the owner wants to move a horse to Paul Nichols, to Nicky Henderson, to Aidan O'Brien, to Willie Mullins, to Timbuktu, if he wants to ship all of his horses over to America, that is his or her prerogative. And we don't get a say in that. It's not up to us. We're not paying the bills. We're not dealing with the financials of this. And we don't know how frustrating it is on a day-to-day basis if you're dealing with a trainer one-on-one. And maybe that trainer... And I'm not saying for a second that anybody was making promises or anybody was saying anything. But if, if you have felt, I can't do this anymore or I can't work with this person anymore, it is entirely up to you because you own the horse you pay the training fees, you pay the entry fees, you pay everything. 
you make the decision as to where the horse goes. What I like is that Jared Sullivan gave the, the horses to Tom George. Mm. I think that giving more power to Paul Nichols, uh, you know, Paul Nichols is a brilliant trainer, fantastic. But is it great for the game? No, probably not, that it's more top-heavy towards mm. the... I'd like to see Emma Lavelle get a shot. I'd like to see Alan King get more of a shot. Um, and it's not like Alan King need, needs help, but, you know, you would like to see other trainers get, get called <laughs> out. That's why I think it's great that Tom George got, got the Sullivan horses. And I'm sure he'll get more. I'm sure if Jared Sullivan goes and buys more, they'll go to Tom George. But... Uh, if they won't, if they don't perform, they'll be moved on. That is the reality of racing. And you and I, and everybody who is a fan of this sport, we can tweet, we can give out, we can uh, go on rants in this podcast. Ultimately, my take on it is this. The owner pays the bills. It's the owner's choice. Mm. And that is one of the things that you have to accept as a fan of this sport. As much as you will be f- feeling an emotional connection to a racehorse, you don't have the right to say to an owner, you can't do that. You can't move that horse. It's not up to you. It's up to them. And that's that's my take. And I'm very sorry for Harry Whitting. I really am. Um, I'm sorry for the, the, the stable, more so, the Wallacott stable, that they've lost mm. their stable star. I think that's that's gutting for them. But it's not Paul Nichols' fault. It's not like, it's not like I mean, I was making a joke Hide your kids, hide your wife. Like it's not like Paul is going out there like saying, "I, I want all these that. horses." You know, he's he's just he's ended up with them, and um, and and fair play. But I I like, is that a reasonable thing to say that we don't have the right at the end of the day to demand you can't do this as an owner? We don't have that right. Yeah, no, I I do. Oh, I do. Especially the, the fees that owners are paying for absolutely no prize money then. Oh, completely. Oh, like the, the fees are astronomical and they get what, especially for jump sources, you know, kind of three, four days out a year and after what they're paying for the horses. Oh, it, owners can do whatever they want. And I have so much respect for owners putting the cash into into racing. But at the same time, it's, it, there is this trend of owners having all this power. And, you know, you see it with moving horses from yard to yard. Um, and and as you say, I think because of my job and my work and how I know how gut-wrenching it is when a horse is just taken away, you know, one morning you'll just go in and your horse is no longer there that you have seen every single day. You have worked with um, since the day that they got there and you, you know, they, they're, they're your, they feel like yours They're not, but they feel like yours. And all of a sudden, poof, in the blink of an eye, it's taken away. And that is absolutely gut wrenching, but it's like, you know, with, with owners, with opinions on jockeys as well. I don't want that jockey because I have a bias and I want this jockey. And it's almost like the, the stable jockey, like that's the thing that's fading out of it because, owners are having more and more opinions more and more power and it just within the industry it doesn't have a very good feel to it it really doesn't feel great um like racing's going in a positive direction not because owners can't do what they want but just because they don't have the patience and the respects that they used to and and again it just leaves a sour taste in the mouth and again if you've got a horse that's coming from somewhere you know that that owner or whoever 
is opinionated or could easily take them away, you don't really get as as attached to that horse. Not a horse's fault whatsoever. Horse has no idea. But um, you don't get that attached to it. You, it's it's a tricky one. It's a really tricky one. Rather than those owners who are loyal, who you know sort of make time to get to know the stable staff, who are sound. Or you know, I say about Ammo Racing earlier, who are sound to the jockeys. Yep. You almost you almost enjoy their wins more because you you do have a subconscious bias. Um, not that you don't want the other horses to do well, but you enjoy it more when a when a an, a horse for a good owner who's good for your yard, good to the people, good to the jockey, does well. You you everyone really really enjoys that then even more so than another horse who you know you you don't really bother getting that that attached to because you just think we're sure they could be gone at any second or yeah or there's been a politics that come with that horse it's it's a tricky one but for me personally it doesn't sit very well but at the same time owners can do what what the hell they want but I don't think you know having this pressure or this sort of these opinions in the background are necessarily a bad thing because hopefully it'll stop racing going down a very shallow path in time yeah Uh, I think that's a good way to round that out i would say that if you and i had a horse in training with joseph o'brien and we didn't feel it was performing and we met jim bulger at the sales and jim went uh you know you should be running that horse over a mile four and then we made the decision to move the horse to jim bulger and suddenly starts winning well then our decision is justified it's yeah difficult yeah. it's difficult joseph's not gonna care he's got 17 million horses down there at Odding hill like you know it's it's, it's fine for him and i'm just Picking two random names, but uh, like if you if you make a decision as an owner, I'd like to think that you're doing it because you feel it's the best thing for you, and you feel mm. it's the most importantly you feel it's the best thing for your horse, and obviously mm-hmm. staff are going to be affected. But as fans, yeah, we have to get our heads around the fact that yeah, we're entitled to our opinions. Of course, we are, and this mm. is one of the great things about our sport. We can put our money where our mouth is, but we don't have control over where horses get to be sent and where they get to go and who trains them. It's just not, it's just not part of it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we have to accept that. And I'm very, very sorry for the connections of those horses. And I have a feeling it's going to happen again. You know, somebody else is probably going to go, uh, I've had itchy feet for a while and those two have moved. So now I'm going to do the same. Um, mm. but it's just a matter of who goes where. And, um, I like the itchy feet reference as well to the same owners. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Um, uh, very pun <laughs> very much intended. Uh, final one. So seeing as, as you wrote such an eloquent article about uh, social media abuse, Safi Osborne, um, mm. Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I presume most people have seen what her father, Jamie, tweeted, uh, the abuse that she got on social media by now, um, don't think he's tweeted since he put that up four days ago. He's reported it to the police and I um, said that he has gone on a, a crusade to have these people banned from platforms and will not shy away from bringing prosecutions. Um, and it's got a massive, massive likes ratio. Um, Safi, the, the abuse that Safi was given is, is absolutely abhorrent it's disgusting it's vile it's everything that is wrong with social media um what as as somebody who works in the industry 
and whose partner is a jockey who works in the industry. Um, what is your thoughts on on this story? Oh, well, it's just, it's her, I mean, Safi's one of my very good friends. And so as soon as I saw this, I knew straight away that Safi, she wouldn't be affected by it per se, but she is a very thick skinned person. She, she laughs at everything. If, if there's anything, she'll find, she'll see the funny side of basically everything. But, and so I'm happy that Jamie took this out of Safi's hands because Safi wouldn't have, you know, posted this and call, called it out and uh, and being outraged. And and Safi, she's only young anyway, so she probably wouldn't even feel it was her place. And and she wasn't happy about this to start with, about Jamie Osborne putting it up. She didn't want any attention from this or anything. But like I said to her, it's the bigger picture. This isn't just about you. This isn't just about this one message. This is about, and Safi said it herself then on her Sky Sports Racing interview. She said, this is about every single jockey will have had this and they pretty much get a message. This is as, as bad as I've seen, to be it's fair. Horrific. The worst of the worst. Really messed up individual who's ever, if your brain can come up with that, Jesus Christ, you need a serious sit down with a psychiatrist. My God. Full um, psychoanalysis but, and pills. Yeah, like you're not an okay, you're not okay if, no. if you if these thoughts are coming out of your brain. And it's probably um, because the person's lost five quid. Yeah, that's a, that's a bar. Exactly. Just please, go, if, if I don't know if you'd be listening to this, but please, if you are, like in all seriousness, go and seek help because that's not normal. And um, But it is, this whole thing is, is much bigger than just this sole incident. It's the fact that it's just thought of as commonplace and that it should just be accepted almost for jockeys to go out and do their job and to be getting messages of death threats, of abuse, of personal attacks, just every single day from these anonymous accounts who they don't know who they are, don't know if any of these threats are going to be serious or if, as you say, someone has just completely lost their mind over their £5 bet and had to get it out of their system because they just have to get out their system to someone. Like, if you're feeling that terrible about about set of bet, just keep it to yourself. I don't understand. Don't I, just, I do not get it. Don't bet. And why go to the effort to go and find that person what did you do do they now feel better do, i don't get what it does um everyone would have been you know annoyed about a certain ride at some point that someone's given a horse but the majority of people do not then take to social media to to voice their opinions i don't understand what that is but there was this whole incident was just a wider picture and what we need i know we've been calling for this for years is the social media to have these people named, outed for this Paul Stacy, to if that's his real name, to find out who this person is, has have his photo, his real name, put in the paper somewhere, put up on you know a website, so he is accountable because he knows who Safi is. He he probably even knows where she. Well, he would know where she lives because. <laughs> You know, it, the information is out there on the internet. So, and he can watch Safi performing, like any anyone can watch any jockey performing, and we know everything about them. Rather than these people who are trolling them anonymously, we don't know anything about them. They're completely, there's no consequence for them. Rather than there needs to be a consequence. If you want to say these things to people, there needs to be police involvement. There needs to be uh, some sort of social media um 
way of policing it so that we can know exactly who these people are. I guarantee they wouldn't be saying any of this stuff when if we did, um, because they they couldn't get away with it then. And that's all it is. They can purely get away with things at the minute, and it's and it's disgusting. And I'm so happy that Jamie Osborne took it out of Sappy's hands to post it so that people can be and it's just unfortunate that it takes a tweet of this much just disgusting terminology to really raise people's awareness when actually there's probably even more offensive messages being sent that are personal attacks upon someone's ride or you know that kind of way this was so absurd that it that it was it's almost like you can't take it seriously because it's so ridiculous but yeah, it, it is. It's a daily occurrence. And seriously, something needs to change with social media platforms or the police need to change a way of enforcing um, so, some sort of punishment upon these people because this can't be seen as normal anymore. No, it can't be. And I don't think anything that you've said there is unreasonable. I think everything is is completely... I, I would back you up 110%. Are you familiar with the story of Curtis Woodhouse, the former footballer turned boxer? No. So back in 2013, he lost, um, on points, he lost the light welterweight title. And um, Mm. this guy started trolling him on social media. And uh, he, obviously not being, feeling too good about the fact that he just lost a fight, didn't want to be getting abuse on social media. So he offered a thousand pound reward to anybody on Twitter who could identify him. Oh, and uh, your man keeps sending him abuse. And um, Curtis tweeted a picture of his estate and sent it to him and said, I'm here. Do I have to knock on every single door or are you going to come on out? Hashtag showtime. Wow. And all of a sudden your man was like, I'm so sorry. Uh, I've been suffering with depression. Uh, you know, I didn't mean it. Uh, didn't mean any of it at all. And he got on his doorstep and... Um, like Curtis was ready to knock his light, lights out and uh, your man just begged for forgiveness. And they ended up going on, um, was it this morning with um, Holly and Phil? And mm, yeah. uh, the guy was just like sheepishly in the corner of the studio. Like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean any of it. Like, you know, it's just I have my own rage issues. And it's, it's like, you're, you're a typical example of a troll. You're a coward. Mm. And you were mm-hmm. all talk. Uh, when you thought that Curtis couldn't find you. And the second he did, you just wet yourself. And we were joking at the start of this about the fact that we both have iPhone 12s. And uh, iPhone 12s, available now from the <laughs> Apple Store or from your mobile provider. If you're an Android user and you listen to the Final Frontal Podcast, that's okay. That's all right. We love you too. But uh, <laughs> Apple, all the way. So just it just happened that Kate and I got iPhone 12s at the same time, just bizarrely. <laughs> a really, really strange coincidence. And um, here's the thing. When I go to open my iPhone, and when you go to open it, it does facial recognition. Mm. So when I log into a betting app, or when I log into to Twitter, same thing, facial recognition. Mm. Now, Apple locked that away in the cloud. They won't, they won't let that be seen by other people. Google, on the other hand, will sell your data to the CIA quicker than you can say counter espionage. Um, but good luck with them and uh, do whatever you want and use DuckDuckGo for your searching. Searching. So I don't understand why, like I'm verified on Twitter, right? So that's me. That is my Twitter account, right? Yeah. 
I would be more than happy for Twitter to come to me or you or anybody else and say, from now on, if you want to use a Twitter account, your facial recognition, you can you can tweet anonymously. Like, I have friends who use Twitter and they don't want to be honest. Like, they don't even tweet. They're just there scrolling through, right? That's yeah. all they do. Like, um, Cahal won't mind me saying this, uh, who will be at the wedding. Cahal is on Twitter. He doesn't use it, right? He just scrolls through to see what's happening in the world, what's the latest news. Juro, who's, who's the man getting married? Same thing. Never tweets, just scrolls on through. Um, and uh, Neve, who produces the documentary that uh, I'm involved in, uh, in a very, 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 very minor role, um, she rarely tweets, except except for this. So again, normally uses it for. I don't think any of us would have a problem with giving our facial recognition to Twitter to say this is at Radio Emmet. This is my account, and I'm responsible for at Final for Long. And Tuala is responsible for it as well. So either Tuala or me gives our facial recognition for it. And there, therefore, there you go. And if you're going to use a Twitter account, whether it's anonymous or whatever, you have to give a facial recognition. Mm. You have to give a thumbprint. You have to give something that says mm-hmm. who you are. But you can be on Twitter as an organization like Apple or Tote or who, whoever it is. You can be on it for as long as you want as long as you're not spreading hate. And if you do mm-hmm. spread hate, well, guess what? Now the authorities know who you are and that can mm-hmm. be passed on. And they're going to find out who you are anyway. Like this clown's going to be outed anyway because all that stuff can be found out. It can be found out really easily. Your IP address can be tracked. Everything can be tracked. Um, but like, if, if they asked you, would you give your facial recognition to Twitter to prove that you are Kate Tracy or if you were running another account mm. like for a syndicate. Would you be okay with that? Oh, a million percent. Yeah, no no issue whatsoever. Doesn't that solve the problem then? Yeah, that's it. I've never thought about that. You're on to something, I think. So the, Very good. All this, they ever listen. <laughs> all this bullshit then, then just stops. You know, if someone does mm-hmm. want to go step out of line and abuse me or you or Safi or whoever it is. Uh, like Jamie Hart from The Tote was in the Racing Post today and he was asked about it in the Monday jury. And uh, I liked his line on this and we'll kind of end on this. He said, let's not blame a platform for the actions of the humans using it. A small number of our society are poisonous and hateful. It's always been the case. Mm. We can all do our bit by deleting their content, blocking it and not interacting with it. Share the good, mm. delete the hateful. Jamie Hart, who I've had a few meetings with, genius. That is mm. one of the most common sense approaches I have ever heard. And uh, that's Jamie at the tote, by the way. Well done, Jamie. Uh, Sarah Lynham was also asked for her opinion on it. She said, I think that it can be dangerous and brings out the worst in people, preying on vanities and insecurities. However, we could be utilizing it in a positive way to provide insight into our sport, highlighting our love for horses. And mm-hmm. that's a common sense approach as well. Um, and in terms of Jamie's point about poisonous people, and, and how there is a small number there. Paul Carberry getting beaten on Archibald, and I'm not talking about the champion hurdle, I'm talking about the county hurdle. The abuse he got. You could hear it from the telly. People were dropping F-bombs, and I'm going to kill you. And It's like, you've had a bet. 
No one's forced you. All right? It didn't work out. I'm really sorry that it didn't. We criticize jockeys when they get it wrong. We praise them when they get it right. But you know what we don't do? We don't come on this show and go, if you mother... You know, it's I don't get it, and it's like it's like you said. Like, does that person feel better now that they've abused Safi? And, yeah. and fair play to Safi for having the mental strength to just be able to laugh it off and and go and go away from it. Because I'm afraid to say that there are um, men who don't. Mm. They read that stuff and they crumble. They take it to heart. They may not feel well themselves. And suddenly they're they're reading something that makes them feel low, and it's designed to make them feel low. It's designed to pierce through your armor, and and cut you and hurt you in the in, in the deepest way. And if you're feeling really low when you read that, you could be responsible for someone doing the unthinkable. Mm. So, I don't see why we can't just use the what's on uh, iPhones and basically every smartphone available, either your thumbprint or your facial recognition, by all means, tweet away anonymously. You want to have uh, an anonymous Twitter account? No problem. But your name's attached to it in some way. Mm. So tweet, say what you want, but if you then come after someone, you're held responsible for it. And um, or you're able to name whoever it is that had control of the account on that day at that time mm. who did, and that brings an end to it. I think. So there you go. Anyway, I'm glad that Safi's uh, strong and um, is ignoring all of that nonsense, and I'm glad that Jamie did it. Well done to him. Um, tough, th- mm, tough definitely. thing for a father to read about your daughter as well. Yeah. By the way, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. On that bombshell, <laughs> uh, who wins the eclipse? Then I. <laughs> Saint Not even Mark's late. Basilica. <laughs> on the is snap. He? On is the snap. Yeah, I'm. I, I'm kind of wondering: Is love going to turn up? I don't know. I'm not entirely certain. Um, but if, if apparently he... not. Apparently not. Apparently not. I've just I'm just looking here now. I didn't know what was even declared. Oh, okay. So here we got we got we got Saint Mark's Basilica, Mishrif, big danger, Adeb, uh, wonderful tonight, Armory, Japan, El Drama, Saint Mark's Basilica kicks that lot into touch. Good night and good luck into next week. You're off, Benito, Benito. Um, you'll crush them. That's my hot take, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll age well <laughs> um, so until next week uh, you and I will be reviewing the Coral Eclipse and St. Mark's Basilica's glorious victory for Ryan Moore and Dave No. Ryan and uh, we'll talk more about that then uh, Thursday we'll do a weekend preview as well um, Kate Tracy pleasure as always thank you very much oh, the pleasure was all mine see you then and I hope you enjoyed the show if you did um, you can uh, like and share the podcast and social media. Remember to take full advantage of Tote Plus, particularly on Carl Eclipse Day. Uh, Tote Plus will be giving you 10% extra on top of all your winnings. They do it all day, every day in racing, but when it's a big day and the pools get really huge, you want to be taking advantage of the uh, 10% bump for your place spots, Group 6, Exactus, Trifectas. 
Tote Plus is only available at tote.ie, tote.co.uk, and the official Tote app. 10% on top of your winnings and SP is guaranteed as well. Take full advantage of Tote Plus at tote.ie, tote.co.uk, and your official Tote app. It's a glorious day. I'm out to enjoy the rest of it. I hope you enjoy yours as well. Enjoy the week. We'll talk to you Thursday. Take care. Stay safe. Kate and I, God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. Think you can't get better value? Think again. 10% bigger dividends when you bet direct with Tote Plus at tote.co.uk.